Warning. Explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Great Northeast BJJ Podcast. Welcome, internet people. Um, welcome, Kyle Jackson, to the room who's connecting right now. Um, super stoked to have you guys all on tonight. It's Sunday night. Um, kind of started doing this a month ago just to like uh, – I forget why we started. I, th- I didn't think it was going to be any good, but uh, – but it ended up being pretty awesome. It was Riddler's idea. I was like, it's it's stupid. Um, Why would you think this is a stupid idea? Because Apparently, everyone, like, George thinks you're stupid. Let me translate that for everyone. George, having, I think you're all brilliant, and I'm super happy that everybody's on. You guys look fantastic. Good to see uh, Maine Miller. I uh, put a face to the, uh, to the sound of the voice. Uh, George apparently just told everybody that – he thinks you're stupid. So I, I'm sorry, and I apologize for that. All right. In George's defense, I am stupid. <laughs> Nobody's so. dumber than me. <laughs> Nobody. Um, but so it's been awesome. And now uh, I do this, and it's like therapy for me every week. And, uh, and I get to learn from you guys who are all awesome. So I just basically bring people on who I think are awesome and I can learn from. So um, welcome to... Rob McGow, my friend from Connecticut who owns Manchester BJJ and also does the, co- the Code podcast. Um, Jeff Shaw from Bellingham BJJ, Dirty White Belt. Maine Miller from Grappling Rewind. What's up, man? Welcome, brother. Hey, you on here? And my man, Kyle Jackson. Kyle Jackson, mute, how you doing? Mute button. I'm good. How are you doing? Good to see you. It's really good to see you, man. It's been a long time. I appreciate you letting me hang out with all of you. This is going to be really fun. How's New York City? Are you in, the, are you in New, York, New York City right now still? Yep. We decided to stay. Uh, I teach full-time at Clockwork Jiu-Jitsu here. The, there were really good opportunities for everyone to leave, and lots of people thought about it. But winding down the gym was really important, so I wanted to make sure I stayed here in the city. My wife and I also were moving to Brooklyn, so just two miles away from where we were before, um, just two weeks later. So decided to stay still here in quarantine, but life is is as normal as it can be. Hey, let me say also welcome to my wife so that I survive the night. Um, (laughs) Welcome, Amanda, to the podcast. I would like to welcome you, Amanda, because I'm happy you're on the podcast, and I don't think I need to say that in order to survive the evening. So I'm sure I speak on behalf of the whole group. We are happy that you are here. You look very nice tonight. So I legitimately mean that. I'm just also making sure that George gets in trouble. So. Uh, it's a rough tough crowd on old george tonight Um, yeah i didn't shave so there you go i can tell it's all you Mame, how come you when did you start to grapple and rewind and how come uh we started grappling rewind back i think like november 2017 something like that um and we started it because uh we a bunch of people watch the sport of jiu-jitsu a bunch of people don't watch it but we watched adcc 2017 and we saw Craig Jones murk a bunch of dudes and went, okay, everyone's finding about who this grappler is now. 
Um, he's obviously won stuff before. And if you look back at his competition record, he'd been winning a bunch of stuff. Why are we all finding out about this phenomenal grappler now? Is there any way that I can like follow the sport week to week? And at the time there was, there was other shows or other stuff that was watching jujitsu, but they were doing other things primarily. They weren't just covering professional sport jujitsu. And we went, well, no one else is doing this like routinely by a week to week, by event to event basis. Let's start doing it. And uh, that's how this all started. So my friend Rob McGow used to put on a tournament that uh, the New England Submission Only Championships. It wasn't just me. It was uh, Brad Wilson and uh, Greg Wood helped me with it. That's a, that's, a, that's a trifecta of awesomeness putting on that tournament. Yeah, that was uh, – we've we got to bring that back when this is over, I think. I, I was – talking to Brad about it a few months ago and we were kind of up in the air about it. But uh, I think when we get back to training again and everything, a lot of people love that tournament. So I'm going to see if we can bring it back. We got to get Amanda to come out and see if she can uh, beat her record. (laughs) I'd have to work really hard to get back up to that shape. (laughs) So, so that was an hour. So Amanda, so if you don't know about this story, Amanda, it was, it's the New England Submission, was it the New England Submission Challenge? Yeah, New England Submission Challenge, yep. It was uh, basically 15-minute rounds, submission only, and if uh, it was the finals, there was no time limit at all. So I think in, in, uh, in the Nogi, mm-hmm. it was, your finals match was 45 minutes? No, uh, Gi oh. was 45 minutes, and then Nogi was uh, one hour, 46 minutes, and 46 seconds. Yeah, it was just shy of two hours. Yeah. And they were just standing there. They were they were going for it. That's crazy. Yeah, it was it was a battle. It was a fight like you've never seen before. It was crazy. That was you were pretty sore when that was over for a few days late after that, weren't you? Um, I had my like scabs all underneath my chin on both sides. Like I was, I don't. It was I was in amazing conditioning shape. I had been running um, like five miles at the time, like all the time, like three days a week, training like a mad woman um, seven times a week, and uh, like I was in phenomenal shape. The peak of my um, definitely at my peak at that point. So I wasn't necessarily sore, but I was beat up. Like I had eggs all over my head and my face was all scabby. And I had to cut the hair elastic out of my hair after the competition. Cause it was just a knot. I couldn't even get the hair elastics out. Um, so I had some like pretty good, like bruises and, you know, banged up a bit, but not necessarily physically sore. Cause I was in really, really great shape. No, you know how tired I was coaching that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember. But I mean, I was, you yeah, about I, yourself when you when you go that long. Say it again. You find out something about yourself when you go. Oh like, man, yeah. yeah. I did not I, want to quit. I agree. I think that George did find out something about himself when he coached for that. I mean, it's like an hour and forty five minutes of coaching. Dude, that was exhausting. Down, the yelling, the taking care of the child. Jeff Shaw and I had a match once that went five minutes in New York at the New York Open. Yeah, who won that? Was, hey, Jeff, was, how did that go? Is that a good match for you? I, I was more tired after that five minutes than I'm sure anybody else was after an hour and 40-minute match. I was okay. seriously tired. Though. In the last 15 seconds, like, I had George in a position. I'm not going to say I was stalling, but <laughs> I would never say that. 
But I just looked up at him and I was like, I'm really tired. <laughs> <laughs> I was too, man. Yeah. 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 Regretfully for George, it didn't matter that you were tired. You still beat him, but whatever. It's okay. Five I minutes. Those five minutes out. in guy time were at least as long as an hour and 46 minutes oh. in woman time. Obviously, no, Amanda. So. See, yeah. I pulled guard on George and, and I was fortunate enough to sweep. And like, here's the thing. Like any normal jiu-jitsu person, I expected George to, like, play guard, maybe start trying to, like, work his sweeps, work his submissions on the bottom. George just popped back up, and I'm like, shit, I'm a guard puller. What do I do here? <laughs> George, is a ju- I- George is a judo dude, so, you know, he's going to stand up. Uh, I'm sorry I keep interrupting. I'll interrupt a little less as we go. Uh, there are a bunch of people that are already uh, popping on live and asking questions. So, uh, from time to time, when things get a little slower, I'll pop in and uh, pass those questions forward to you right now, uh, Nate Ryan. Uh, has mentioned something I'm certainly not sure of, that, that Kyle is uh, more handsome on Zoom. I don't really know what that means, but, uh, you know, that's up to you, Kyle. Uh, Julie says, sup, and uh, Aaron is saying hi to you, Maine. Uh, so apparently there are people who are uh, already checking out the action. So turn This Nate guy, me. yeah, that Nate guy sounds pretty smart, so I don't know. That works for he me. Is, he is. He can't do a kickflip. All he can do is pressure flips, but uh, his kickflip sucks, I heard. But, you know, anyway. Uh, there you go, buddy. It's all yours, George. Um, so also, Jeff Shaw. If you don't know Jeff Shaw, you've seen him. The meme that goes around, like, once every six months, that's like, jujitsu people just be sitting around watching a murder or whatever it is. That's my, every time I see it, I think, oh, that's my friend Jeff Shaw there. That's, that's my claim to fame, man. And it, is, it does go around once every six months. One of my, our, our school's only been open, like our one-year anniversary is May 1st. And like two months ago, one of my students like sends me this. He's like, this looks like you. I was like, that's because it's me. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, no, that's totally me. It was uh, my, my friend Kim Rice, who, if you, I mean, if you've never trained with Kim, you, you, I think you'd have a lot of fun. Kim was, she won the worlds at Blue and Brown Belt. She's the beast and is like the nicest person ever. And we do this tradition at Triangle Jiu-Jitsu called the trains. Like, can you get a new belt? And then everybody sort of shark tanks you, like a new person every minute for X amount of minutes. So if your blue belt, it's like 15 to 20. For your purple belt, it's like 30 to 40. For your brown belt, it's like 45 to an hour. For a black belt, it's at least an hour. And so that was like at the end of my train. So that's why everybody's sitting around looking like, oh, well, we're kind of bored. We've seen Jeff get choked about a zillion times already. And so, but, but whenever Kim chokes someone, and she is seriously one of the nicest, one of the five nicest people I've ever met in my life. But if you ever watch her during matches, when she chokes someone, she gets the war face. And like just the, <laughs> just the I am trying to eat this person's soul, right? No, exactly, right? Like nice people. And then on the mat, it's like the Patrick Swayze principle, nice until it's time to not be nice. And so, so that's, Kim and I are, are dear friends, but like, that's why the, in that photo, she looks like she's trying to murder me because she's trying to murder me. <laughs> I love it when students come across stuff that you've done or like videos of you and say, hey, is this you interviewing Gordon Ryan at ADCC? Like, yeah, that's, that's me. H- how did that have you explain like what you do outside of as being a coach? So like, oh, you do all this other stuff in jujitsu. Like, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Like a guy that doesn't know what all of this is so before 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 we were at the gym we were at now before we opened our own place me and my friend david porter who i think some of you guys know was teaching so dave and i were teaching at another gym that was a gym that was not jujitsu focused they did all kind of other martial arts and so they had um they had keith krikorian come out for a seminar who's an awesome grappler super cool dude and 
And so Keith meets Dave and is like, oh, dude, Dave, I have your DVD. I'm a fan. And all these, these folks that are not jujitsu people that are like other martial arts pros are like, how do you know who Dave is? And I was like, well, we do other stuff, you know, and Dave, and Dave also a pretty good grappler. So, yeah, they it's, don't it's just, know. They yeah, take yeah, for granted. You walk the door and disappear, right? I'm digging Sorry, that. I'm looking around the, uh, around the group here, and there's three people who uh, have a podcast here. Uh, Kyle, you don't have a podcast. Is that correct? So I am toeing the line. Um, right. I, I launched a new idea since we closed the gym last month. I've been running a, a smaller company called Perfect Roll, which is just an online video review service. And if you will allow me the 30-second pitch um, from the, the startup world, the, which is where I was before I was teaching jiu-jitsu full-time, we think about positive feedback loops and negative feedback loops a lot. And it doesn't mean good or bad. Positive just means like bigger and negative feedback loops or anything that make a system smaller. And through that, you kind of understand how things grow and shift. And it's really common to recognize that 98% of jujitsu is taught through positive feedback loops. Here's another half guard pass. Here's another idea from here. But there are all kinds of patterns that people pick up over time of just when I'm in half guard, I do this thing. I just grab the, the back of their neck and I don't know what I'm doing. It's just something I do every time because I haven't put something else in there. And so it was a video review service of just reviewing either competition roles or really competitive roles in people's gyms. And it was like a private lesson setup. Um, And I have a nice telestrator ability to draw over and just break down footage of try to recognizing those patterns and using that negative feedback loop concept to instead of doing the same thing that doesn't lead you to the correct spot think of better options from there. And so since that's, that's the mindset. And then since everything has changed, we publicized it and socialized it and turned it into a Twitch stream that is live every weekday at 6 PM. So I've got like 50 students of mine that can't go to the gym that just join me on stream. And we talk for an hour or an hour and a half about random jitsu matches. For people who, uh, who are only going to get this far through the, uh, the thing, do the, uh, do a little stack there. So this 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 uh, Twitch stream is called what? It's called Perfect Roll Review. When, when is it on? Weekdays at six p.m. on Twitch. On Twitch. So twitch.tv slash Perfect Roll Review. Um, there's a website as well, which is the portal that we were running it through before. But it's it's been really fun to open it up and just share the style of learning with anyone who wants to join. So we look at a lot of professional matches, but really that lens works the best in that blue, purple, brown range where people are are picking up their own rhythms and styles and just recognizing, uh, what's an example? When people armbar from mount, a lot of times a player will put their hip on the mat before they step over the head and they lose all the pressure and the other player rolls up. And if you put your hip on the mat before you step over the head, you will finish the armbar against equal or better people 0% of the time. But it's so tough because when you're learning the technique in class, an instructor is there who can say, don't put your hip on the mat. But if you ever do it live, either someone is screaming at you on the sidewall and it doesn't click, or you just never get the chance to go back and see it. So that's kind of the magic of the the system that we've built. It's new. It's only been around a month, but we're having a lot of fun with it. That's cool. It sounds like you, so if I'm understanding correctly, you did this directly with with specific people as a service, but 
to be honest, just uh, like what you're saying, I'm going to validate what you said. I would be as interested in seeing the result of that if it was okay, obviously, with the person who paid for it in the first place. Uh, because, yeah, I'm like, hey, wait a minute. I, when I drill, I just throw myself over there, right? Maybe I shouldn't do that. Yeah. That's Great. exactly the mindset. And so it's certainly evolving, but we're, we're looking at a lot of professional matches and there are a lot of really talented, really intelligent people that are also breaking down Hodger versus Buchecha matches. And that's fantastic. Um, but I think, I think my magic main is that one you've done recently or. Yeah, we specifically talked about, I'm sorry, we've talked about a bunch of Buchecha matches recently, but both Hodger matches are on the docket for depending on how long quarantine goes, we're going to get to that. And we're basically doing some episodes and making some themes for episodes. And that's on the docket for some stuff we're going to talk about recently. Yeah. I'm fascinated with, I'm fascinated with all the different podcasts here. So I definitely want to hear everybody here, but for right now, but so, yeah, so that's exciting, Kyle. I mean, it's true. It doesn't feel like something that would translate really well to just plain audio. Like you kind of have to see what's going on in order to do it. Yeah. And it's a, I don't have my setup with me, but I just have one of the new Microsoft Surface Pro tablets with the pen so I can draw over the video. And it, it's just an, a different way of yeah, sharing information that works yeah. really, really well. Yeah, I saw actually a little clip of it. Right. So you oh, have nice. like a telestrator and you're going in here. So, uh, so agreeing with Nate from the uh, internet here that Kyle is now the John Madden of BJJ. Uh, I don't know if that's, I don't know if, did Madden actually use the telestrator? Am I, I'm sorry, I'm probably the least football guy of all of us. I'm like a fan. Maybe Mike Fratello is the czar of the telestrator. I was going to say, I didn't think it was all Madden there. Greg Johnson says, Jeff, you've only met five nice people, but I think we're uh, maybe a little late from, I should have brought that up earlier, but anyway. But after yeah. the match, so let me just throw this. After the match of Jeff Shaw versus George Law won. I'm, I'm like, we're up on the podium and, and Jeff is, Jeff gives me the sign. I, or Jeff has his like sign or something. I was like, dude, give me the sign. I'll hold it up. And like I helped him hold up the sign on the podium. And then like, there's this comment like underneath the thing. And I, and it was like, Jeff Shaw is so nice. Even the guy he beat helps him hold up the sign. <laughs> and I didn't know Jeff really at the time. I knew him a little bit. And I was like, that was a nice dude. You know, when I read that comment, I was like, Oh, I don't know if that's positive or negative. <laughs> I think that's more about you being nice than me, but I appreciated the thought. We also got to run that back at Black Belt once they have tournaments right. again, man. All yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's do it. Um, Rob, Rob McGow has just started a podcast recently. Rob had one of my favorite episodes we've ever done on the Great Northeast BJJ podcast. Like, he told stories um, that were like, blew my mind. Um, and other people have told me that too. They were like, that was the best episode you've ever done. Rob is a, is a law enforcement officer, if you guys don't know. But Rob, tell us about why did you start your podcast? And why, did you, why do you do it with Rich McKeegan? Couldn't you find somebody better to do it with than yeah, that? Yeah, I mean, the dude doesn't even like Van Halen. I mean, ew. Uh, What's the name of your podcast, Rob? Let's sell something here. Yeah, it's uh, called The Code. And uh, basically where that name comes from is in the martial arts world. I mean, I came up to martial arts since I was a kid, seven, eight years old, and I'm pushing 48 now. So been through many different styles. And there's like a, you know, I, I kind of live kind of like by the Bushido code, so to speak, so to speak. So what the moniker for our academy is Bushido Jiu-Jitsu Academy, Manchester Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And um, so that, there's that, that whole side of it, the martial arts side. But then I also, you know, been a police officer for 23 years, tactical team member for 18. So there's that whole thin blue line code. 
So I kind of mix the two together and uh, I have guests on from both worlds and some of the guests I have on trans, you know, you know, go back and forth between both worlds. So I'll have people that are just cops. I'll have people that are just uh, jiu-jitsu people and I'll have people that do both. It's a, new biggest, pod, it's a new podcast. Who are some of the people you've had on? Uh, Pedro Sauer, my coach, was my first, uh, my first one. And then, um, wow, <laughs> start big. <laughs> uh, and then, um, Keith Owen, um, Eli Knight, um, some guys from the Connecticut SWAT challenge, uh, that run the Connecticut SWAT challenge. Fantastic. Uh, uh jujitsu five Oh, is a guy is, uh, out in uh, Brooklyn park, Minnesota. He's a police officer out there. He runs a whole Instagram page and YouTube channel for police officers for training jujitsu. So, uh, I've had on, um, a guy that does all TCCC training, uh, tactical medic type training, um, which I think is probably one of the things people sometimes ask me in the martial, in martial arts schools that, you know, teach self-defense, you know, what's, what's something lacking. And I think that a lot lacking is, you know, what do you do after the, immediately after the fight in the real world, if you're injured, it's like, you know how to put on a tourniquet and quick clot and, you know, keep yourself calm and call 911 and tell them where you are and things like that. So we talk about stuff like that as well. Cause, um, you know, and when things happen for real and you're injured, you might survive that initial encounter only to die three minutes later because you don't know how to take care of yourself. So, What is your experience like with the podcast? You've only been doing it for a little while. You feel like you're hitting some sort of stride. What are some of the challenges you've had? Well, um, it's been kind of, I mean, I want to say easy. It was the, the hardest part was setting it up, which, by the way, you helped us tremendously with. And uh, It's not about me. Go you ahead. know, really, it's, it, it's been... Uh, pretty smooth. I mean, I've known Rich obviously a long time. He's a black belt with me and um, we, we uh, pretty, pretty hit it off pretty well on the, on the talking back and forth and the people we've had on, we've, a lot of them we've known obviously for years. So it's been easy communication and um, get a lot of emails and t Facebook messages from people all over the world. So people are listening to it. We just went on with YouTube with it too. So it's, we just started to have uh, some videos go up before that. It was just audio. Yeah, YouTube's kind of tricky, but it, it once you get it down, it's it's pretty uh you know it's, it's re reproducible. You know you can do it pretty quickly, but yeah. Here's the thing about Rob. I think I had met Rob one time, maybe at that at the tournament, mm -hmm. and they were doing a he was doing a Pedro Sauer seminar, and I and I so I was like, man, I'm gonna go to this. It's a like a, it's a little bit of a drive, but it's an easy drive from where we're at. And I sent him a message. And I was like, hey. I met you once. I did. A, I do a podcast. I, I like. Do you think you could ask Pedro Sauer if he'd do a podcast with me? And uh, and Rob's like, yeah, sure, I'll do that. And uh, and so like, I show up and I'm I'm doing a podcast with Pedro Sauer. Um, and it that was an awesome one too. It was you, me, Keith Owen, uh, and Pedro Sauer and Amanda and 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 that that was like the first time. When we did that, I, I, when I saw Keith Owen and you talking about how great Pedro Sauer was and he's there and Keith Owen was like almost crying, I was like, man, this is, uh, this is like so great. And you didn't even know me and you like, you did that for me. So I appreciate that. That was great. He still, he still remembers you because he actually just asked me about you not too long ago. Uh, remember that guy that did those podcasts with? So. Yeah, the guy with the big head, tiny. He's like uh, 95 pounds. His head's like 80 of it, right? Yeah. So, yeah, man. I mean, it's exciting to see a lot of people say they're going to do this kind of stuff. And, you know, because I run this little network here, people will ask questions and stuff, but they don't stick with it. And I'm really excited that you guys are, 
are doing it and making it happen. And it looks like you're having a great time. I've listened to a couple of them and it's, it's good, man. Nice work. I appreciate it. And it's awesome. Like I think, and that was a, that, you know, jujitsu has always been to me, or I, I feel like you could go two ways with it. You could be like, I'm going to hoard it and I'm going to do my thing and F everybody else, you know, and, or you can be like, I'm going to do something and I'm going to bring people with me and it's, we're going to make this thing awesome. And, and we're all going to be awesome. And luckily I had people that did that to me in the beginning. So I could be like, Oh, you could do that. And so I think it's true. Like, you know, like we all, like, you know, we can all have podcasts and they can all be awesome and they'll all be about different stuff. It's not like, you know, your podcast is going to take away from his podcast or so that was kind of the idea tonight about bringing it. I want to make sure everybody knows, like, let's all talk about your podcast because <laughs> it's probably better than ours. <laughs> it's super sweet. Uh, actually, uh, I, I, I don't know who's in what gallery view there, but in my world, that's where Maine is down there. I mean, that's where the pro shit happens over at the Grappling Rewind there. Okay. We'll get to the Bellingham too. That's a different, the dirty white belt too. But I mean, uh, Maine's got the uh, got the lock on being a super pro here. So uh, I have a couple questions for you. I mean, well, first off, you should probably talk a little bit about you know when this whole thing came together. I mean, it's been a while. You got what? I'm looking over here, like 127 episodes. Yep, every week, every week we put out another episode. Basically, what we do is um, we watch everything. So if there's a pro event that happens, um, it's broadcast. It's it's reasonable to cover. Uh, we used to cover stuff that was unreasonable to cover, but now pretty much if there is some sort of results, there is some name or some like high level grappler that we want to talk about on there, we cover it. So if there's a major event going on that weekend, we talk about it. And every single week there are major events going on. So we'll typically cover between anywhere from like one to like six different grappling shows that happened that weekend, talk about the results, talk about um, some technical aspects and things we saw from the high-level grapplers, what are the sort of the storylines going through the current jiu-jitsu community right now of, um, you know, X, Y, and Z fought this person six months ago. We saw them lose by knee bar. We saw them address that problem here. And then, you know, maybe if they meet again, they're in the same division at world. So, so talk about professional jiu-jitsu sort of as a week-to-week basis. If you want to follow jiu-jitsu, but you don't necessarily want to watch like eight to 10 hours of tape study a week, like our team does, you can do that by listening to our show. So that's really the goal is being on ramping to people like white belt, blue belt, even purple belt, looking to get into watching more professional jujitsu. And it's super daunting when you first like get into jujitsu, you're learning it yourself and you start practicing it. And then you realize there's this whole professional world out there and there's absolutely no kind of guidance of like, okay, what are the important matches? What are the matches that aren't as important? What are the guys that should be watching? Like who is interesting? Who is, and we sort of sort act as a guide for that. And that's kind of what our goal is, is to kind of highlight professional grappling, be a really good jumping off point. If you're going to watch five matches that happen this weekend, we'll tell you what matches to watch. I'm interested uh, for people who haven't, you know, who don't know about your uh, podcast, let's do that little stack. So this is the grappling rewind podcast what's your preferred way of having people uh listen to your or watch your podcast we it's primarily an audio show we do put out a video show um it comes out the day after the audio show comes out typically we record on monday night um i get the audio version out by midnight monday so it's out tuesday morning and then by about 
8 a.m. to 10 a.m. on Wednesday, the video version will come out. It's just a bunch of guys talking, so it's, there's not a whole lot added in the video. Um, we're primarily an audio show. Typically, iTunes or Spotify is kind of the best places to find us, but we should be on pretty much every podcast platform, and I don't really have a preference where you listen to it. Whatever's easiest for you as a listener, go for it. Right. So you don't have, uh, again, I'm just trying to break this down for someone who's listening. You will, you won't have the rights to rebroadcast on YouTube. A lot of like, for example, IBJJF matches. Yes. Is that true? That's correct. So we, we don't do a whole lot of video work just because we have a small team. Uh, video work is very time consuming to do, especially with the turnaround time we have for the show. Right. Um, we occasionally do some bonus episodes and occasionally like I have rights from a lot of promoters that I've talked to that have given us rights. Sure. That are cool guys that are nice guys that let us use footage, but generally, um, thing, anything broadcast on Flow, Fight Pass, um, pay per view, ESP, anything like that, we don't have any rights to. And so we can talk about those matches, we can have those promoters talk to those promoters, but we can't use any of that match footage or else there's a lot of copyright issues, takedown issues, demonetization issues that we just don't want to deal with because we don't have rights to that footage. So we can talk about it, and if you want to go watch it, we'll tell you where to do that, but as far as video breakdown of those, we don't have the rights and I don't want to mess with creative licensing and right. getting sort of can of worms. Technically we could do that, but last year a big swath of stuff came through. BGJ scout got taken down a bunch yeah, of fair yeah. got taken down yeah. and, uh, if our stuff gets taken down, I don't really have a good channel to get everything back up. So we just don't want to get into that. Yeah, no reason to play with it. I'm sorry. Uh, I realize uh, I'm sure other people have questions too. I just wanted to get these all, you know, banged out ahead of time, some of the, the tech part of this. So, yeah, so you'd prefer to have people listen to you, uh, like you said, through Apple Podcasts, maybe probably Google Podcasts will probably cover that because they'll, they'll pick it up from Apple. Um, Spotify is where a lot of people are listening to podcasts now, so that's probably a good place you can yeah. check out the, Spotify, uh, Pandora. We're pretty much everywhere. I mean, I don't think there's any service that is a standard service that we're not on. I kind of make a big deal to get on every new service and to make sure that we're listed so that if you do want to listen to us, there's no barrier to where you can't find us. So we're pretty much everywhere. Right on. So I have a personal question. So how, uh, this is a really small world. I mean, oh, yeah. the grappling, the sort of BJJ, even you know, across around the world, it's a small world, but the internet makes it a small world. You probably you have some strong opinions. You talk about people's stuff. Could you give us just for fun? These are all just fun. It's like road stories, right? Do you have an example of maybe sometime you met somebody at one of these things and were like, ah, maybe uh, I don't want to talk to that guy or maybe they call you out or something? I'm not shooting, by the way. I don't have an example. I'm not trying to get you. I'm just guessing coming from the entertainment world that there's probably been a few times where it's gotten a little closer comfort. So, the, so let's talk about the good stuff. The lion's share of people are super friendly, super approachable, willing to talk to you. Um, we also, whenever we do interviews at location at events, we are super respectful Like when we ask for those people's time. Right. Please, no misunderstanding. You are yeah. super professional. And so people who have not heard the podcast don't know what we're talking about. Very professional. I'm saying this more in a collegiate fashion because I'm guessing there's probably a story or two that's there's funny. There's a couple guys that are like, that is a crazy person. Okay. And there's been a couple of people that we've interviewed over the years that have not, the interview hasn't come out or it was just a really strange interview or we've had a couple of those that we have that are just like, uh, but we have a lot of like good ones that, okay, we missed the window for the release. So we have good interviews and bad reviews that never came out, but there's definitely a couple of interviews that are like, well, 
that was a really strange interview. Or you're talking to a guy and there's a language barrier. He doesn't have a translator. And there's some guys that are just like, man, that guy was kind of a dick. But the majority of people that we deal with are super professional, super respectful as well, because the community is really small. And especially the guys that we're interviewing, the women that we're interviewing at these events understand that. And they're usually not going to big dog you and blow you off because they are looking to have content created for them as well and to push their brand. They kind of understand that we all work in the same world and we're all looking for the same thing. I want to highlight them and their story and talk about what they just did and talk about where they're going. And then I have questions about when can I cover them again? And so those are sort of questions that we ask and everyone's usually for the most part, pretty respectful, but there's been a few guys that have been, uh, that are uh, crazy people. Definitely. Uh, I mean, you take a journalistic approach towards the whole thing, which, you know, obviously, you know, you can see in the podcast, a lot of people are sort of moving into this new, uh, promotion 2.0 or 7.0 or whatever kind of vibe where there is no such thing as bad promotion. You know, you get people who are just making up this bullshit about their opponents or whatever, trying to get lines or whatever do you find yourself attracted to that or do you find yourself how do you handle that some of the guys on the team really enjoy that um me personally i i really have an interest in that i want to know like if you watch professional grappling long enough you know for the for the most part who the front runners are in any event you can look at a bracket you can look okay that guy's probably going to beat this guy that guy's probably, and you can kind of figure it out there's a couple matches that are super intriguing and you know that's when the drama is much more interesting to me it's guy they're four and four or they're one and one and you know the last match had this controversy i'm super curious because both guys have a pathway to victory but overall um we're i don't i don't want to paint us as journalists we are enthusiast press and there is a big difference there. We have one guy that is actually a journalist on our staff, um, and he understands journalism practice. We are fans of grappling. We're, and we're enthusiasts, and we want to cover the, the sport of professional grappling in a way that is respectful of it and is kind of gives people a jumping off point to understand it. But we're not really journalists. We, although we cover the sport, um, we keep everyone happy. There's a lot of stuff that we don't talk about generally because it's such a small community. If you burn your bridges, you can't get them back. So we're not hard-hitting journalists. <laughs> um, Jeff Shaw, you, you had a remote once and you talked to Hickson, didn't you? I did. I talked to Hickson in person, actually. Yeah. And this is wild. Yeah, so, so this is wild. Like, uh, you know, during my belt, I started it when I was a blue belt. And at first, it was just kind of a hobby thing. And then I got a deal where I was working out of a radio station in North Carolina. So I, for a while, so we went from, it's like a bell curve of hobby, kind of professional, and now we're kind of hobby again, because I don't have the time to really do it uh, in, in, and run the school and keep my day job at the same time. But we're at the Worlds, and this was the last time I competed at the Adult Worlds. So I was 39, and I was, I, I just got done. And my coach, Seth, and I were sitting in the stands. It's, it seems weird. But, like, this kind of stuff happens to you at the Worlds. And, like, Hicks and Gracie comes and sits right next to me. And I'm just like, and, you know, I kind of freeze, right? Because I, tra I trained with Hicks at a seminar before, but I'm not going to be like, <laughs> hey, buddy. And plus, and then after, after, a bit, after a bit, like, Pedro Sauer comes over and says, hey. And Fabio Santos comes over and Hoyler comes over. And I'm just sitting there with my, like, little mic. And Seth, my, my coach Seth is like, you have to talk to him. You have to enter. He's right there. And I'm like, okay. So my brain just went fully blank. I, well, I'll talk to him once I think of three questions. And it's like any grappler here, 
you can think of three questions for Hickson like off the top of your head, but my brain, it's like you're being in a jujitsu match and your mind is in a fugue state. You're just like, I, do you, you're, how do you, you choke someone? So, but I calm down. <laughs> <laughs> right. Really. And uh, actually, I have, I, have a, I have a better exit story too. But but yeah, I calmed down. I didn't talk to him, and it was like he was he was you know and, and you know this is this really is something that was said before. It's like most people are super cool, even the best of the best, the legends. You know, Pedro Sauer is one of the coolest people in the world, right? And he's this legend, is jujitsu royalty. And Eli Knight is awesome. I've never met him personally, but like his his YouTube channel is awesome. He's a hoist guy. I was a hoist guy. You meet all these like really amazing people, and then you talk to them and. You know, you wouldn't get that in any, and I don't think most other avenues of life. So yeah, like that was one of our most popular episodes. Uh, but like, I want to tell a story, like because you brought up Hickson. So I got to tell you the story of the first time I trained with Hickson at a seminar. And Hickson didn't do seminars for a long time, right? And you all, we all have bucket lists, right? And so I was lucky that in North Carolina, where I was training for most of my jujitsu, like a lot of people came. But Hickson wasn't doing seminars for a long time, and then suddenly he was. And he did a seminar down at Valente Brothers in Miami. And I was like, you know, I got some time off of work. And it's not like, and you never know what people are going to do, right? What people's priorities are going to be. So I'm like, you know, I think he's going to be around. But like if Hickson just one day was like, I'm just not going to teach seminars anymore. You know, who's going to tell him, no, you have to. So I was like, I got to, got to. And then I, he ended up teaching, uh, continuing to teach. So I trained with him a couple times after that. But, you know, I flew down, went and trained with him. I was a blue belt, right? So full stars in the eyes. And so it's a, I don't know if anybody's been to the Valente Brothers School, but it's big, beautiful school. They have 400 students. It's huge. It's like, it's like kind of like a jiu-jitsu palace. And so I'm just totally starstruck. I get out there. I'm just this random blue belt. There's 100 guys at the seminar. There's probably 30 black belts there. And Hickson decides to use me for his uke for like the whole seminar. <laughs> and I'm like, and of course I forget jiu-jitsu, right? I'm just like, ah. Uh, and, you know, I don't even have any pictures of this because his wife was taking pictures and, I, you know, I got her email that I ne- never ended up getting the pictures. Whatever, I have that memory. And so this is my, my favorite thing that happened is Hickson was showing stuff from like, well, knee shield or some people call scissor half card. And so he, and I still use all the stuff from the seminar. And so he's like, and this leg's my control leg and this leg's my attack leg. And so I can't let him pin my, my, my attack leg or else I'm not going to be able to attack. I'm like, cool. He asks everybody for questions. I'm like, Nobody's asking questions. And so I'm like, well, I have a question. He's like, my friend, what is your question? He's like, what do I, I struggle if they pin down my attacking leg? Like, I feel like they shut down my guard. What do I do if they just take their hand and pin down my attacking leg? He's like, my friend, do it to me. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) Sounds like a trap. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And so this is pretty awesome. I mean, it was, it's still pretty awesome. Like, you know, I'm still just, you know, you know, I'm still just a big fan of jujitsu. Right. You know, and I'm always going to be And like, I think I'll always get goofy when we're talking about legends, but so I get on top and Hickson's half guard and Hickson's like, pin my leg down. I take my hand and I pin my leg down and he slaps me right in the face. And just like, <laughs> just like one of the five fingers say to the face. And he's like, and I'm like, and everybody kind of like pauses for just a second. And then I start laughing and like the whole room starts laughing. And he's like, I slap, I punch him right in the face, man. And, and I'm like, this is, and, and then, because it's funny, right? And he's like playing it for laughs and all of a sudden for shock value. And then he's, but then he actually introduced a really critical concept that I still use and I still teach. He's like, if the guy wants to strike with me, I play jujitsu with him. If the guy wants to play jujitsu with me, I strike him. So he's like, he commits his hands to grapple and I can strike. 
if he tries to strike, okay, now I'm going to grapple and you don't want to grapple with me. And I'm like, so simple and yet so awesome. And I've never washed this side of my face since. <laughs> I'll wash this side. But, you know, so I probably got the coronavirus all over. Yeah, this. that was a so great story right up to the end right there. <laughs> the gross cheek. I don't like that part. But everything else I like. <laughs> Ten, ten years. Ten years. Come on. It's, you can get like a sourdough starter off this thing. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of sourdough starter, this, uh, the sourdough thing is quite possibly the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. Um, I, I talked to this guy, Daniel Bertina, who's a black belt in Amsterdam. We did a podcast with him like, like a month ago or maybe two months now. Um, and he's like fermenting all this stuff. And I was like, oh, man, maybe I'll try that. And so I was like, I try, I, I'm like, how could I how, you make bread, you know? But I wanted to do it like the sourdough starter way. So I'm like a month into this thing. It occupies a tremendous amount of time. I've spent like a hundred bucks on a loaf of bread, you know, because you got to feed the thing every day. And everybody I see on Instagram is better at it than me. <laughs> Ryan Ferguson, dude, your bread looks amazing. I know you're watching this. My bread looked, maybe the little design I did on the top looked good, but your bread looked like it came out way better. Yeah, but that's artisanal small batch bread that you're making now. You can charge like $200 a loaf for that. It's black belt bread. It's black belt bread. You put a little turtle logo on it, like Tortuga Sourdough Company. Black belt bread, man. It'll make your jujitsu better. It sounds like a a gauntlet is being thrown there, George. How's that? I'm happy to pick up the baking challenge from you there. If you you're want. gonna have to, you're gonna have to because my pra- I've, I've, uh, it's, it's pathetic. I'm moving on to kombucha. Yeah, I'm glad to hear you're moving on because you were gonna lose this one, but that's okay. Oh, oh no, dude, I suck, man. I suck at it. I'm, I'm, I don't for some reason. It's, I'm not good. I mean, I'm not quitting. I'm gonna give you some starter, dude, and it's gonna be me. It's gonna be. I'm giving you a part of me. <laughs> Jordan, I'm, I'm very uneducated with both of these. Do you, is kombucha also difficult? Like, is there a whole world of, like, I like dude, the, I haven't started following? yet. I haven't started yet because, like, I was like, man, I got to do the bread first and then I'll move on to the kombucha. But the bread is like, whoop my ass. You got to make the yeast from no, it's like the art of making yeast without yeast. The kombucha, they have a starter, it's called a scoby, right? Yeah. And, like, and so I, I, we have a we have a blue belt at my gym that makes it, and that stuff is delicious. This is like kombucha heartland. There's actually a, there. I live in Bellingham, so it's a hippie town, and there's uh there's two places you can get kombucha on tap. So it's like some people go and get the beer on tap, some people go to get the kombucha on tap. I, I'm a fan of both personally. It's one and the other. What? Uh, so I'm curious as to what like since I've this quarantine has happened. I mean, I have done like three podcasts a week because I'm like, I'm like, yeah, 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 I gotta, and so we got like five that we, maybe sometimes five, I drive the Riddler insane. Mm-hmm. Um, we have some great ones coming out, but uh, I would do like, I would do one every day if, if I wasn't torturing the Riddler because I love talking about jujitsu so much. Um, but, and, and I mean, you know, and, and it's good that they slow me down because, you know, I don't need to do a podcast every day, but <laughs> Like I've done all the, a lot of cool stuff that, that I haven't been doing, like started meditate, trying to meditate, um, which also turns out to be really hard for me because my mind is like, boom, 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 boom. Um, 
And I, and so I'm curious if any of you other guys have started doing anything like that you haven't, that you were like, oh, I'm going to do this someday. And then, and now you've started it. Or you guys just all being lazy? So I went back to yoga. Like I used to, way before I got into jujitsu, like I was a hyperactive kid. I probably had ADD undiagnosed. I was the only child of a single mom. And, uh, and so they didn't have meds and doctors were expensive. So my mom went, sent me to the free community yoga place. So I've been doing yoga since I was six. Uh, and I, and it, it's awesome. Like it's probably saved my life. But like I got out of it when I really got into jujitsu because jujitsu, you work on your flexibility. It's kind of mindful in another way, you know, because it's like involuntary yoga. But when, but now that I can't grapple people anymore, like we've been doing yoga live streams with one of the, the students who's a yoga instructor. And so, so I've been trying to do yoga every day. And just so Where do you do yeah, the live streams? We do it Saturdays at noon our time, so 3 o'clock your time. I'll send you the link if you want to do it. I would love to. I would love to, man. Yeah. Yeah, get your Barambolo game on. <laughs> I've been trying to do a little, I've been throwing a little yoga into the mix too, right? Like I do these little 15-minute YouTube uh, yoga. This is great, man. I love it. I think it's such a good counterpoint for jujitsu because it's like helps you heal up your stuff, flexibility, injury prevention, uh, mindfulness, because my, my brain pops like popcorn too, man. And Meditation is awesome. Like I, th- I truly believe you should do things that are hard for you, right? Just because that's where growth occurs. But at the same time, it's like it's really hard for me just to like sit and be still. And so yoga, it's at least okay. At least my body is suffering, and I, my mind can focus on that. Dude, it's crazy. Like I will try to do. I will try to like I'll listen to a little guided meditation, and the person's talking, and I can listen to the person talk. And I'm thinking about you guys. I'm thinking about podcasts. I'm thinking about jujitsu. I'm thinking about guitar playing. I'm thinking about squirrels running in the yard. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm doing like 17 things. And I'm like, whoa. It's super, it's, it's, not, um, it's not easy to do it. But like, it's funny because I get all these random, I'm trying to find this text my friend Nick told. I asked my, like, this guy Nick I know, and, uh, and he, he's a jujitsu guy. But I was like, and he's into meditation. I was like, dude, you know, I'm trying to do the meditation thing, but it's like, uh, but you know, it's hard. And, uh, and he wrote me back this thing and it was really good. And he's like, it depends on how committed you are. If you decide you want to do it, then you will let nothing stop you and you'll do it. And then, uh, and all this stuff, you know, that sounds kind of harsh and judgmental, but it's honest. And I was like, whoa, that's truth though. And so I was like, wrote back, I was like, dude, I'm doing it. And I'm, I'm not, and ever since then, I've done it like three, t- three times a day. Like I do it in the morning for 10 minutes in the middle of the day and at night. Um, but uh, it's hard for sure, but it's good, you know. Uh, Rob, what have you been doing? What have you been doing? I know you're working still. Yeah, um, I've, I've, I've gotten back into, um, well, first of all, I got three boys and one of them's 18. And they all do jiu-jitsu, so I'm pretty lucky that I still have somebody to train with. <laughs> so um, I've been training with, with, with them. It's so frustrating. As much as I can. <laughs> but uh, I've been doing, I went to a seminar years ago with a guy named Rob Orlando. He does strongman stuff, uh, Atlas Stones, tires, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I have a lot of that stuff, and I've been uh, going back and doing a lot more of that, uh, kettlebells and axle, like the, the axle instead of a bar and um atlas stones tires sandbags all that kind of thing i like that kind of training so i've been doing a lot more of that and trail running i like to trail run so i'll put a backpack on and run through the woods and stuff so just more of that and then gymnastica natural i've been doing uh 
some more of that. And in fact, tomorrow night, one of our association black belts, Mike Diaz, I don't know if any of you guys know him, Utah area. He's going to do a whole thing for our association on Zoom for uh, Gymnastica Natural. So um, nice. Just doing that kind of thing. Um, is that for every, for anybody? Uh, I can find out. Um, and I, I know that they released it to all of the Pedro Sauer affiliate schools. And um, Pedro just, and I are, are pretty good friends. Yeah, I, I'll sneak you in the back door. You know, <laughs> you can get in there. But um, yeah, it's supposed to be tomorrow night. I think um, five o'clock or something like that. I went when I was a white belt. I I was in San Diego, and I took uh, I tr I was like I had been reading the University of Jiu Jitsu book, and so I was like I got to train with this guy. And so I'm calling the place, and, and it was like back and forth. I finally got a private lesson with Solo. And, uh, and it was like old school. I walked there in flip-flops, and it took me forever. And it, and it was mind-blowing. But the first thing he did was like 15 minutes of, of Gymnastica Naturale. And I was like, what the hell was that, man? And, it, and he gave me the, D, you know, Alvaro Romano's DVD, which was tough to follow. But um, I loved it. I was like, man, that was so – and that was when I first really truly started – to love jujitsu, um, was, was training with him. But, uh, Kyle, what are you, so you're breaking down matches, but are you like cooped up in a little apartment in the city or what? And so we just moved to a bigger apartment. Um, I did the growing old selling out, but staying in New York city thing. So I live in a Brooklyn neighborhood called Clark slope. Um, the apartment is twice as big. Um, it was logistically difficult moving, but we worked with a really good company that was really comfortable doing it. Everything worked out really well. And then, so the two things that we've been focusing on besides setting up the house here is we've been doing a lot of yoga. And we, like I think almost every other school in the country has tried to take that positive mental attitude towards digital content. So we're putting out a lot of videos for our students and Josh, the owner of Clockwork, is a very huge fan of, of yoga. And so he's been putting out weekly yoga videos. And it's just fun to stay connected to the, the other students there. Um, it, it's fun to just have a social connection, even on something you're doing by yourself. So I'm a bigger player. I, I know, I think George is the only one on the screen that I've rolled with. Um, but I'm a power passer style guy. I try if things are going well i'm not using a lot of flexibility in my a game but it's it's crazy to think about how much easier guard retention can be with just 15 percent added flexibility so since we're not in the gym that's my that's my focus physically and then the other thing is that we just adopted a, a dog so yeah diving into positive reinforcement clicker training and just i i had a dog when i was like five and i just turned 36 and now i have a dog named pickle who's probably laying down in the other room. So is that's been my focus. Is Pickle a puppy or uh, an older dog you adopted? He's like one or two. He was a farm stray in South Carolina that they picked up and, and brought up here with an agency service. So no idea. He's a Labrador, Australian cattle dog mix. And yeah. he's, he's awesome. Super chill. This is a dog friendly podcast. So yeah. You can congratulations. Uh, yeah. Our protector, dogs. our protector here is super asleep right now. Nice. There you go. That's Jack the dog. He's uh, he's he's super old. So I just bought him a. Uh, on, I got it online. He hasn't got it. I got him a handle finally because he can't get up on the bed anymore. And oh, I made him awesome. a little ramp and stuff. But I'm screwing him. He's getting a handle now. I'm gonna pick him up and drag him around and stuff. But yeah, congratulations. The things we do for our pets. 
That is it. Well, one of the things one of the things you you mentioned that I that you know just come up a lot on the podcast here between George and I and Jay is is that you're we're all used to being in a room laughing or whatever, but most of the time, at least at Port City, there's a lot of humor going on with a bunch of people on a regular basis, and it is not the same to not be in the same room as a bunch of people laughing or enjoying time together. It's you can't be on the internet while you're playing jujitsu. You can't be trying to survive while you're thinking about what's on Facebook or anything like that. It's a really interesting mix when you're at class of being completely in a separate place. Everybody's focused in the same direction. You're hanging with people you might not hang with in your you know outside life, and you add in you know, the, the sort of the, the collegial banter and laughing and having a good time, you got the adrenaline. I mean, the, the thing I like about all this stuff, I mean, I know I work by myself most of the time, so I don't really have a problem with that kind of stuff. But I really like the idea that the Zoom meetings have become ways to enjoy just laughing with your friends, you know, just screwing some stuff. Seeing ridiculous dogs, which, by the way, I don't mean to interrupt myself, but I will. I believe that dog has one of the best dog names of literally all time. You didn't American just go. You didn't. Uh, you, I'm going to set you up. You didn't just go with the named after an alcohol, right? I mean, that's an old way to name your dog. You didn't jokingly name it against uh, about you know after your uncle who you didn't like you didn't do some weird behind the scenes inside jokes so if you say come here or whatever and it turns things you went with a great dog name jeff what is the name of your dog my dog's name is the american dream dusty Rhodes. and if, you, <laughs> if you're a fan of old school and yeah, don't really whether you are or not just the American Dream does the roads. Just the idea. I can picture you when the American Dream Dusty Roads maybe does something that the American Dream Dusty Roads should probably not have done on your couch or whatever. You yelling, of course. The entire name over at the uh, American Dream Dusty Roads. <laughs> well, this is the thing that happens. This is the thing that happens. Me and Betsy call him the Dream. Like, you go take the Dream for a walk, baby. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it works yeah. on so many levels. <laughs> yeah, most uh. definitely. I love this little pain in the ass. Uh, we have. We also have the super old basset hound Penny, who's uh, does not have a long name. She's fourteen and a half. But, uh, yeah, but 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 Penny is internet famous. Everybody knows Penny, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, come on, anybody who has anything to do with your social media knows knows the old Penny there. But uh, yeah, it's amazing. See, the best part about it is just staring at this dog's face when really just trying to place the name <laughs> and the face in one spot is is good enough for me. So. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm a, I like me and Betsy actually. So we rescued, we we uh we adopted Dusty about six months ago, but me and Betsy were out driving yesterday, and we saved a mastiff's. Well, this is an exaggeration. I was gonna say we saved a mastiff's life. We actually probably saved a motorcyclist's life. So we're like driving, and suddenly this big bull mastiff, probably a 160 pound dog, no collar, just runs across the road. And we're like, whoa, we've got to save this dog. And so, and it's one of those things where he's a big, sweet doofus. 
but he just doesn't have any road sense, right? And so, like, this is a pretty busy road, and people don't always look. So we get out, and we're, like, trying to corral him, and uh, we don't have any treats in the car. So Betsy has, you know those goldfish crackers? So we tempt him with some goldfish crackers. He comes over, and he's like this. And it's funny because, you know, you see him uh, 50 yards away. And then he comes up, and you're like, this dog is bigger than me, like literally larger than me. But, and uh, he turned out to be super friendly. But after he realized we were trying to, like, lure him, he wasn't ha- You know, he, he ate some goldfish, and then he, like, splits. And I, like, I try and tackle him, and I can't. And he, like, splits across the road. And me and Betsy both freak out because we think he's going to get run over. And we're like, oh, my God. And he doesn't get run over. Spoiler alert. Dog is fine. We found his family. Everything's cool. But – there was, a, instead of it being like a car, and like, honestly, he could probably mess up a Yugo too, if their Yugo still around, or like a Hyundai or something, that Hyundai would not have had an easy time with the Mastiff, but he almost runs into this motorcyclist, and I'm just like, and at first I was like, oh no, I don't want the dog to, oh man, the dog would have taken the best of that. <laughs> so, luckily, nobody got run over, everybody got reunited with their family, somebody got some goldfish, everybody wins. Do you ever find out the dog's name? No, no, damn! Like you know like, what that means? That means you can you can name that dog whatever you like. <laughs> no, probably gonna name him Arn Arn Anderson. <laughs> you see that you can go on this or website like Cameo dot com or something and have like uh, the Nature Boy Ric Flair send out like Happy Birthday message or whoever you want. Ric Flair's five hundred, which is unfortunate. I did have Arn Anderson call my friend Jake Whitfield though. And it's like, really? Arn's like, I'll you pick, right? Yeah, yeah, because Arn's a, I mean, Arn's a legend and, you know, but Rick's got to make that paper, you know. The, yeah. Those limousines aren't going to ride themselves. And the jet flying, kiss stealing, wheeling, dealing, son of a gun. <laughs> so you actually did it and it was cool. I did. Yeah, yeah, I did and it was cool. Yeah, and uh, there, I also, I listened to a bunch of pro wrestling podcasts. Not that I don't love jujitsu podcasts, because I do, but uh, there's this guy, Bruce Pritchard, who, uh, was one of the writers. He played Brother Love, and he was also one of the writers for WWE. And he has this podcast. And if you buy a shirt of the podcast, he will call you. And yeah, so like, so so I so and me and Jake Whitfield is this other black belt that I that I came up with. He was one of my instructors. Like he's this huge old school wrestling guy. And so I did that, and I, I had Tony Schiavone call him. Unfortunately, I think got voicemail when Tony Schiavone called him. Just too bad. Huh? Oh, gotcha. But, That's super cool. But, oh, thanks, man. Yeah, and congrats on the dog, too. That's killer. Yeah, I, I will. I promise by the end of it, I'll, I'll wrangle him in here for an appearance. I really like the idea that you, that, you know, I love this kind of, you know, guerrilla marketing, too. You know, I come from an old sort of rock and roll background and stuff. I like that idea. Like, you buy a T-shirt, and then the dude will call you. I think in our situation that I think what we should do is that if you buy one of our podcast T-shirts, uh, we're going to be monetizing this summer, which will be interesting. But uh, it, when if you buy one of ours, it says, George will not call you. What do you think? Do you guys think that's a good idea? Is that okay? We think you should people like I got your number. If you don't buy the shirt, I can call you. So you it's the other way around. If you just buy the shirt, you know he won't call. That's good, right? I don't know. You could have like a freemium model. Like, you should, but like block off squares where it's like, okay, if you buy the $30 shirt, George won't call you between 1 a.m. and 5 a.m. <laughs> you just want him not to call you at all. How about if you, buy, if you buy three shirts, George will not call you for one whole year. It's just a giant protection racket. 
if you don't if you don't buy the right stuff though, we're gonna have Jay call you when he's drunk, like late at night. Mm. Yeah, people would like that. So, yeah, so you, you, yeah. that would be awesome too, because then you can switch. You could sell the other where you could like you could like sell a have Jay call someone of your choice when he's drunk late oh. at night. <laughs> like, yeah. so, like here's a list of guys you gotta call. So I, I I could be way off on this one, Kyle. I don't really I don't know how the the universe of of jujitsu works. Now, did you train with Jay? Uh, yeah, a little bit. So I was living in Boston, oh, two thousand seven, and I was training at Mass BJJ. There's a connection. Got it. And through them, met lots of other people. I am from Portland, Maine originally. I got my black belt from Alexei Pickerel, oh. who runs a school up there. Gotcha. So you know Ben Moore, those guys. Ben was at my wedding last year. Yeah, really, really oh, good friends. Fantastic. I apologize to people who are all over Facebook with this. I don't have all my Facebook together, so I should probably know all this. Let so, me tell you something though that's going to change your opinion of Kyle. My the reason, the re Kyle, unfortunately, is the reason that Chris Laflam trains with us. I think. Oh no! Yeah. You know Chris Laflam. Chris Laflam and uh, came because Kyle used to come down, drive down, and come train with us at Port City. And uh, guys, I'm I am really uh, for people who know the podcast. I'm really negative towards calling people's names out on the podcast <laughs> because it almost never works. You know, like they don't they don't expect it, or something could be misunderstood. I really don't like this idea. I will absolutely change that for Chris with L A F L A M M E. No one likes him. Oh, he's a terrible, terrible person. There's, it's just so hard to be around that guy, man. You think I talk a lot? This guy. Oh my goodness! So you, he's a bass player. I know. I mean, it could it get worse? Anyway, uh, so uh, please feel free, Kyle, if you feel like you'd like to, uh, you know, pass along a story about our friend. I guess we can call him that, Chris. Of course. And so I was. Um, I went to university down here in New York City. I've had a on again, off again relationship with the city. I, I will always be a main guy. I, I expect to be back up in the quiet at some point, but for this stage of my life, I'm excited to be here. Uh, as soon as I knew my wife is British, so we were playing the visa game. And then as okay. soon as she was able to move here full time, we came back to New York City. And I just looked around the room and, and thought who would have the most fun with me handing this person off to them. And it was Port City BJJ. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we have. My, my favorite Chris LaFlame story is um, someone asked me, and just like what you guys were saying before of the white belts coming up, not understanding the history of not only the sport, not only list, uh, like watching choke, everyone has this, we have to watch choke thing, but just being able to, to come up through the time and figure out the connections and where you want to be. I have realized that I've trained at over 50 gyms around the country and around the world, uh, which is something that I'm really proud of. Oh, American dream hanging out in the background of that video. That's so cool. <laughs> Um, and so anyway, the, the most memorable trip I have, and I've lived in Brazil, I've been all over the world, I was just in Bali training. Chris Laflame and I went to my friend Travis Wells' gym in Lewiston, Maine. Okay. And we rode on, I was holding on to him on the back of his motorcycle. Very I, romantic, nice I work. Think I, I think I brought it up as a joke 
And he said yes, and I had never been on a motorcycle before, and it was like 25 degrees, and it was like an hour drive, and it was pitch black, and it was one of the coolest trips I've ever been on. The Travis's gym is awesome. We had a great time, um, and Chris's body kept me warm and alive all the way home. So. That's surprising because, you know, Chris probably, he's taller than me, probably weighs like, what, 120 pounds. He's incredibly skinny. You could probably wrap your arms around him twice. It's very little strength. He I can only think just of enough of the wind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was it. <laughs> well, anyway, thank you for indulging me with the uh, little flask. That was a good story. <laughs> it was worth it. Um, ben, the beer guy, the beer blogger, um, active beer geek, he actually, a couple of weeks ago, sent me a clip of your um, of your breakdowns. And I was like, oh, man, Kyle Jackson, we got to – yeah, so oh, cool. he yeah, asked, awesome. shout out to Active Beer Geek. Ben certainly knows how the social circles move. So that's really cool. I appreciate all the stuff that Ben puts out for sure. He's the man. Um, Maine, where, where, are you from? where are you now and where are you from? So right now I'm living in Baltimore. Uh, I grew up in Topsom, Maine. I went to school up at University of Maine. Uh, trained around there with Eduardo. Uh, then I got my blue belt from Eduardo, moved down to Baltimore, and now I train at Baltimore BJJ. I run the John Hopkins Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu program. Nice. And, uh, yeah. What have you been doing now that there's no matches to break down? I know you're breaking down some old ones, but what else? A uh, whole lot of that. Yeah. whole lot of there's been absolutely – so we used to cover news on this show, and then we go into, like, what happened this week? And then we go on to, like – um, match breakdown. Then we go on to like, hey, what's happening the following week? It has been a whole lot of, hey, uh, let's just talk about matches that we all really like from like 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we're on like the month two of that right now. Uh, thank uh, Chael Sonnen actually ran Submission Underground uh, for no one a couple weeks ago. So we talked about Craig Jones, Merck, and Kevin Casey. Um, but other than that, it's been a whole lot of like legacy match footage and actually that's what i got up on the other screen here i'm just like looking through the old world championships of like grapplers that we've never got a chance to talk about on the show that people might not know about if you just are getting jiu-jitsu now and so it's been a lot of uh, a historical perspective on jiu-jitsu and it's good because i haven't gone through a lot of this stuff in in many many years and so it's been fun who do you think all right now this is going to be for everybody eventually but who who is the greatest Gi, no gi grappler right now, and gi and no gi all time. Uh, okay. <laughs> Who's that? I, I vote for Kyle's dog. <laughs> I, I, I seriously just want to call my attention to that. Actually, Maine, I, you're, you're a professional. Let's all just take a minute because I want to hear your answer, <laughs> and no one's going to pay attention. All right, so what is the dog's name? Pickle, right? <laughs> <laughs> this is Pickle, yeah. <laughs> Pickle is super happy to be on the podcast. He's yeah, a long-time you, listener. You oh, just step right up there, Picks. There you go. Wow. Not a small dog for one and a half there. Yeah, he's like 70 pounds. Let's see the, uh, let's see the, the foot paw. Let's please. Oh, he doesn't want to Okay, so not not going to get that much bigger is what you're saying. No, not this doesn't have these giant feet still. So. No, no, no. All right, he's, he's very, very floppy. Yeah. Awesome. very good. All right, he's uh he's got a much better life now. We are happy. He's pretty happy. So apparently, pickle is not going to be the greatest of all time. So uh, let's get back to that. Sorry for that, man. 
<laughs> you want me to go last, or you guys want to go first? Oh yeah. Oh, why don't why don't uh, George? I'm with me. Why don't you let Maine go last? Because he's got the depth. Sure. You know, he's got the thought process. Jeff Shaw, you're first. <clears throat> Sweet. So I got opinions. Uh, so uh, let me go gee, no gee, and overall. So my gee list, it's got to be Hodger, you know, and I know it's in the easy thing, but won the most worlds, submitted everybody at Black Belt, unbelievable, all around, one of the greats. Bruno Malfacini, you know, Bruno gets forgotten because he didn't do absolute, but, uh, but you know, small dude. But, uh, you know, if you look at the world championships and the way that, you know, the quality of competition that he's beaten, I think Bruno has to be in the conversation. I think the third on my own particular all around is Marcelo, uh, who is my, my, my nogi pick. Uh, so I think, so those are my, my sort of three that I think are in the conversation for greatest of all time all around, you know, so I would pick if push come to shove, I would pick Hodger in the gi, which I know, and thank you for letting me go first. So I could say Hodger, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but nogi, uh, I think Marcelo is the goat. Uh, if you look at ADCC, the most prestigious, competition he's got four adcc championships he's talking about doing adcc again after 40 which is unbelievable and yeah no and i think everybody would and should root for marcelo as is just and right like i, I uh and and so 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 hodger in the gi marcelo nogi i will say this two other names that i want to just throw out like my favorite rapper of all time is rafael mendez and i think you know he quit in his prime essentially which I think was the right decision for him to continue running the school with he and Guy. But like, I think had he, had he not existed, we would be talking about maybe Cobrinha is the greatest of all time because Cobrinha could conceivably have had 11 or 12 world championships had Hoffa not existed. And if Hoffa just kept winning world championships with beautiful jujitsu, you know, I think we, I think Hoffa, Hoffa would be in that conversation, but I don't think you consider, can consider him just because like at his peak quality, unsurpassed i think but in terms of like depth and like length of resume it's not long enough the last name i want to throw out because you know everybody talks about gordon nogi and like people get into debates now about like has gordon surpassed marcelo and such my perspective honestly man i think the best pound for pound nogi grappler in the world is jt torres you know if i'm not mistaken jt has not lost a match nogi since 2015 and you know, it's to a certain extent apples to oranges comparing JT to Gordon. But if you look at the quality of competition that JT, he's won ADCC twice. He's still in his prime. He might win another two or three times. And if he wins, and we're talking in 2023 about JT not losing a no-gi match for eight years, you know, unbelievable. So I think I've talked long enough. Also, uh, mad props to the to the dog. I don't know. I, I want to know that dog's name too. Yeah. yeah before we go on, uh, we got to let's, let's play the game here. So, Maine, who was that? <laughs> That's Bandit. Bandit. There's dog. a great dog name. Once yeah, again. Dog Bandit. Well done. Nice work. Now, so let me ask you this, though, before we move on. Because Marcelo is my guy, and JT Torres is, is, blows my mind. Like, he's so good. Um, but what if we throw MMA into, like, that, like, equation? You know, I feel like you're not – you're just going by, like, geek competition. What if MMA is a is – a criteria does it change anything i'm gonna go on one go ahead oh yeah well like so so if, if you consider mma i think it has to be damian maya just in terms of all around jujitsu you know Verdun. Somebody, Verdun, right? i mean Verdun's certainly in that conversation right and i think because Verdum has the two world championships and you can make a solid argument based on who Verdum's beat that he is the greatest heavyweight ever by the numbers mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I would never dis- – and honestly, I wouldn't dispute that. And this is the thing. Like, it's really fun to talk about who the best is, right? And so we can, like, have our different criteria and stuff. This is why I usually list three names because, you know, if you – you know, Hodger is an easy answer because Hodger wins everything in absolute, right? But how do you compare Hodger to a Bruno Malfacini who wins everything in his weight class, 10 world championships? But if you were to put him up against, you know, Mark Spuchecha, you know, it's not, it's not really – you know, the, that's not a lot of fun for anybody. Uh, but anyway, like, yeah, I would, I would say Maya would be my pick for Remame. Oh, let me, let me throw out another name, which is like a guy that's forgotten is Marilla Bustamante. And people forget that like Bustamante's record because like, you know, he won the UFC belt when he was 38 years old. He's one of those dudes who could do it gi, could do it no gi, uh, incredible jujitsu. And is one of the dudes that when you talk to folks like old school folks, new school cool folks that know who he is, just universal respect for him. And he, his name gets left out a lot of these conversations. Yeah, and didn't he get robbed? Robbed and go back and uh, went for the double dip to win anyway, right? How about that one? Yeah. <laughs> Rob McGow, what do you think about this? Well, I, I got to go with Barcelo. I, I don't know. All, I don't watch all the matches as, as thoroughly as some of you guys have over the years, but I've met Marcelo and trained with him and watched many of his matches over the years. And I just think of that one that match he had with Crone, and and I don't know. I, I got to go with Marcelo Nogi. Um, and I and uh, not to cop out, but I got to agree with Jeff. I think Hodger with the E. But you know, I don't know how many championships they might have. But you know who I also really like is uh, uh, Megaton Diaz. Back in the day, was like Dude, still. Hey, thank you, Rob. Thank he, you very much. He still is. He's still. Thank out you very there. much. Still he's all these, one of my favorite guys to watch. Competing in all these years. I mean, he's amazing. In my, as far as I can, you know, can say. And then uh, I like Jeff Glover. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I love Jeff Glover, man. Jeff's amazing. Uh, so, I mean, those are kind of the guys. If I could train with somebody, you know, I'd probably want to go train with Jeff Glover or Megaton. I've never got to train with either one of them, but they'd be on my list. I mean, if you had to throw in, a, like, I love, because I love all these guys, but and but I would say, and, man, I'm glad you brought up uh, the little the little guy, um, and I can't think of his name. I keep wanting to say Mighty Mouse, but uh, – Bruno Malfacine. Yeah, yeah, Bruno Malfacine, man. Oh, he's such so amazing. One of my favorite um, grapplers to watch, though, too, is Gary Tonin. Like, Gary Tonin is so – he has, like, some of the best matches of all time, I would say. Yeah, but, yeah what's, your, what's your criteria? If your criteria is, Jesus, I like watching this, it's got to be Gary Tonin. Gary Tonin arguably has three of the top five most exciting matches in the last decade. Yeah, or, Paul Harris is just – forget about it. Paul Harris match um, – I'm blanking on the other two. There's like two other matches that are just like absolute crazy. He is like pound for pound Crone. most exciting dude. Yeah, I mean, his match with Crone was great. Yeah. One of his not-so-hard matches was rolling with me uh, when I was a purple belt. He, uh, there's a great picture of in, on Instagram of him, Harai Goshen, and me into, into eternity. He's, he's, he's throwing the Harai with the arm oh, down the back. Which, on a lot of guys, that's rough to do. You could do it like the Georgian grip, but if the head's here and he goes down this way, grabs the thing, turns in for the harai, right? Now, of course, it works on George because George is only three and a half feet tall, so he had to reach down, and but he does it nogi with George, and the throw is just – was it Jeff Chu who got that photo? What a photograph. Just perfect timing. George I was is an old- trying so hard. I was trying so hard, man. To look good in the photo draft? Is that what you were trying to do? <laughs> George, uh, let's give George a little bit of respect here. Uh, I met George more than 20 years ago. 
uh, at when I started judo, he was, I think you were a green belt or something. As a, a, these adult belts have different colors in judo, especially in traditional judo back in the, in the day. Um, I won't tell him the vitamin G story. They've heard that on this podcast enough. But the reality is George can take a throw. I mean, we 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 have a, we came from an old traditional judo school to this day. I mean, both George and I can get thrown real hard and not get hurt, and it's one of a it's one of the greatest things about old traditional training. Gary took every every advantage of that. That's what a fantastic throw. I will tell you this though, if you wanted to, if, if I had it, I'd share it right now. I don't have it on this computer. I'm so sorry. We wanted to go down a line of, I mean, a lot of famous great people like that picture too. You know, I mean, everybody saw that one. Guys, you 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 got George starting to talk about himself, which yeah. is understandable. And if you, you know. wanted to go down a line of who is throwing <laughs> me the hardest, though, it would probably be Rick Hahn. Rick Hahn threw me through the. Uh, I mean, I almost come out in China like he threw me. And I think he was being nice. He wasn't being it's, it's mean. That's a, a little racist, George. But, yeah, uh, he but was – Rick's very nice to me. Rick just it instantly harites Harikomiyashis me, which for oh. everyone else, you're standing here. You take a step back. As you're stepping back, your feet bang together. And then all of you goes like this, tabletops, a good five feet off the ground. And then, bam, Rick stops right there. Be polite to the old guy. And then just sort of counts to three, passes guard, chokes out. Awesome. What a, what a fantastic uh, – uh, being able to train with an Olympian is, is uh, a privilege that I would put on my gravestone. Uh, out, no joke, no irony. I fanboyed out so hard for a good 30 seconds. He, uh, Rick, poor Rick finally looked at me, right? And he goes – he's been on the podcast. Uh, he looks at me and he goes, you're going to need to come at me, bro. I'm like <laughs> – Oh, okay. You know, because I, I, I was in judo for a long time, 13 years. I won some big competitions. So fool asked me, did exactly what he asked me to do, which was a huge mistake. I was much better off staying three feet away. But there you go. Not a mistake. You got to find out. You got to go into the fire. Yeah, we I, well, obviously that we we have all done that now with uh, with Rick Hahn, or at least the guys around here. We're very lucky. Rick lives uh, very close to us, and we we get to work out from time to time. But talk about smooth, technical, and an absolute you know like uh, Hobbit orc, like just devastatingly brutal. Props to the orc reference. Oh, hey guys, I gotta go. In, I, I gotta. I gotta go in a couple minutes. But like, I definitely want to hear everybody's picks. Yeah, please go on. Go on. Uh, I just wanted to say that if that Gary Tonin throw was just before the seminar he did at Port City, that I was in the room for that. I don't need to see the photo. I yes. can feel the noise. <laughs> Remember the sound. <laughs> uh, and George did land very nicely. <laughs> he can certainly take a throw. Um, I don't. Even though I, I do enjoy helping students break down their own film, I, I think it's something that helps everyone tremendously when you get over that hump of being able to understand that it's not just the best people that are, are worth, because JT Torres never puts his hip on the mat, you know, but just, I, I don't watch enough stuff to feel like I have a strong opinion of who the best of all time are. The, the only thing I want to add is that I really like that we mentioned Hafa Mendez's name because I, I remember the feeling of, of when he was 
in for worlds. It, it wasn't inevitable. It was just, it felt like, like the marginal difference between him and everyone else in that room was, was just measurable in a way that is rare. And when I think of that emotion, so I'm going to do the, the classic thing of changing the question so that I don't have to pin down an answer. If, if I'm describing that emotion, then I think Hoffa is there. I think Hodger is there. I think there is one person that represents that more than anyone else I've ever seen, and that is Tara Ray. What he was doing at his peak in his time was just marginally better than everyone else in the room. He didn't win every time, but in, in terms of watching the ripples come through history, what he was doing at his time was very, very special. I think Margarita for like two years was just ragdolling everybody before he motorcycle accident, I think. Um, but like there was a, fl a flash where he was just, regardless of weight class, regardless of time, he was just head and shoulders above. Um, and I really think that, that Tara Ray is, is the one person I'd put on top. If everyone lined up of all time in a gi, I think Hodger at his peak would, would take them all. But I think Tara Ray moved everyone else forward in a way that very few have. Tara is the man. He was the man for sure. Um, Maine, what's up? What do you think? Everyone kind of took already what I was going to say. I mean, I think Hodger, I mean, we do a very by the numbers show. Emil, if Emil, one of my co-hosts was here, he would be able to actually run this through a program that we have that we'd be able to spit out by the numbers uh, who the GOAT is. I think you got to go with Hodger for all the reasons that Jeff said and the other folks here said already. Uh, the streak of unbeatenness, the way in which he beat all the guys, kind of the systematic nature that he went through people at the weight class that he did. You got to go Hodger in the gi. Now, in Nogi, I think that's a much more interesting discussion because I think there's a lot more... Nogi gets funny because there's so many different rule sets and you got to look at ADCC. And ADCC only happens every other year and they're a mix of invite slots and trial spots. So ADCC, if you're looking at that as kind of who determine, to determine who the best is, ADCC gets funny and you have some really great arguments when you argue about who is the best in Nogi. You got a couple guys that are front runners. You got Galvao with his history of being crazy good ADCC, most super fight championships. And the super fight is the guy that won the absolute. And then he fights the guy that won the absolute two years later. Galval is undefeated in this only dude to ever do it as long as he's done it. Um, and you have a bunch of other crazy guys in ADCC because it's generally a crazy tournament. Uh, I want to piss everyone off and go, potentially got to throw Gordon in that mix as well based on what he's done in the time frame that he's done it. I also think whenever you talk about greatest of all time, you have to look at, at everyone at their peak. You take Gal Vau in, let's say, 2016, 2015 era Gal Vau when he's just murdering, every, maybe that, I think that's right, right around Gal Vau was at his peak. You look at Gordon Ryan now and you see what he's doing. He's still rising. He's still peaking. From a technical perspective in Nogi, I think that's a really, really fun matchup. I would have loved to see it two years ago because I think Gordon was not quite as good and he's only getting better. And I think Gavau is getting a little bit older. And, but that matchup is going to be crazy. And I think that matchup, potentially at ADCC 2021, will determine who the GOAT is. I think it's those two guys in Nogi. Um, I got to say, too, though, that like when I saw Marcelo say he was going to come back and, and do the ADCC, I was like, oh, it almost made me cry. I was so happy. I mean, I love the man. 
Marcelo's <laughs> there too. I think there, there's a there's a, it is a hard to put it past Marcelo as being one of the goats in Nogi. The way in which he did it, I think, is the most impressive thing about Marcelo. Like the the he is not playing a point stall you out game. He is actively going for it. He's going for the submission. His transitions are fun. He's nice to watch. So it's like I think that factors into it as well. So. Yeah, I, th- I think you got to also consider, too, I mean, uh, it's sports, so it's going to come down to objective numbers, and that's the end of that, right? I mean, so there's that. But I've got to believe that the quality of a win is something that I'm interested in as well. And so if someone had three or four unbelievable, you know, uh, showings, and that's all they did, you're never going to be able to compare someone like that with someone who has 15 or 16 great showings. And I understand that, but... Yeah, the quality of what Marcelo went out and did, the world beater sort of thing, really plays for me. That's another reason why, um, you know, someone like uh, uh, Diaz, like for uh, um, for Megaton, for example, like for right now, I, I mean, he's not the winningest guy, but for someone like me, I'm older than all you guys. It's like looking at a guy who has solved the solution to compete at an advanced age with this set of techniques and also win is... I think that's an amazing quality, and it's very hard to put that into objective numbers. Amazing, Megaton's the man for sure. The one thing I will, and, and you know, the, the one thing that people forget about Hodger, and it's an interesting discussion too, if we're talking about the guy at his peak or the whole body of work, right? Because I think Gordon, if Gordon for the next two to four years performs at the rate Gordon has, I do think you know Gordon's going to be the, the guy. But, you know, is he going to pull a Hoffa Mendez? I don't know. I also want to remind folks that uh, Hodger submitted everybody at ADCC2. So that was awesome. I would love right. to talk with you guys about this stuff all night, by the way. I'm super uh, – and so I'm really sorry I got to skip. But thank you guys for inviting me on. It was awesome to meet you all. I'm going to check out the Grappling Rewind podcast now. Jeff Shaw, before you go, I got to ask you, you. You once did a tournament of martial arts movies. I did. Is there like a PDF or so I can see the brackets? There is a PDF, and I will I will email you that PDF. Yeah, I think you were on that, Jeff. But yeah, that question has come up so often on the podcast that it's becoming a traditional question. We'll probably throw it around to these guys, you know, best martial arts movie. But I think there's definitely we, we're missing. I think people would answer better if they had a little a little bit of a reference to go with because I'm sure that people have seen things that they don't remember, like scenes from these particular movies. No one says Kung Pao. When the dude beats up the cow, how is that not one of the greatest martial arts moments? The guy kicks the shit out of a cow after getting his own shit kicked out of him by a cow. It's not vegan, Riddler. It's not vegan. Uh, I was... uh, I'll send you guys my top 64. I need this. I need this. I need this in my life, too. You guys are awesome. It's awesome to see you guys. Everybody stay safe. And uh, let's do this again soon. I'd love to do this again. All right, brother. We will, for sure. See you, Jeff. See you, buddy. We've already heard his answer. We know what he thinks. Right. So I'm going to throw it to you guys, because this is is also a thing I've been doing in my quarantine, is I've been introducing my eight-year-old daughter to – to the greatest martial arts movies of all time. Far too, far too violent. But <laughs> She's, she grew up with Jay Mansfield. Um, so the other night we watched Remo Williams. Any of you guys seen Remo Williams? Oh, come on. No, come on, Rob. Yeah, I've seen it. It's been a long, long time, though. Uh, he jumps from the log to the log. Yep. The guy, so, what a great movie. Is oh, how, about, how about Jim Cotta? 
Jim okay. Pat or somebody. Good for a completely different reason. <laughs> Good in like a gleaming the cube kind of way. Yes, I'll give you Jim Cotta. I can't say it's a martial arts movie, but my favorite movie from back then is Vision Quest. Vision Quest comes up a lot. It is a perfect movie in a many, Dude. many possible ways. Many, many ways. One of the greatest movies. Point of order. Do we consider Rocky to be a martial arts movie? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. We do. It's funny. I, I, and if so, I, why are we talking about any of this? Right. That's, that's what I was going to say. I think the problem is, similar to our previous discussion, when, when one, not just one, but more than one of the, an entire oeuvre of a, of a type of movie, you kind of have to Hall of Fame that thing. You know what I mean? You kind of like, it kind of wins on a bunch of different levels if you consider it. You either do or you do not consider it. You know, like I, I like if you're going down that road, now you got to throw like Raging Bull, right? I mean, that's a really great movie, right? I mean, it's all kind of where do you draw the line? What's martial arts? It really considers do you consider boxing movies martial arts movies, or do you consider them sports movies, or you consider them sports martial art movies? Is really what it comes down to, right? And Rocky also wins for like a funny reason, like because you can see it in like the the ironic later on Rocky, or you could see the original, like almost like indie film kind of Rocky on like the indie. Lo- There's so many ways to win. Plus you get Stallone, you know, you get a, all that kind of stuff. But so anyway, I vote, I vote to just sort of hall of fame, the whole Rocky thing and take it out of the. So to throw some there, do you all consider the matrix a martial arts movie? Absolutely. This is, this has come up twice. I think so far as answers. Uh, this one, I'm sorry. I think Jay and George and I disagree on this one. I say yes. I say yes. Okay. I think so. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean but how about Jay this? It's not here. Yeah. Well, it's, Jay it's, 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 any chance that I have a chance to dominate Jay Mansfield at anything other than jujitsu, because I'm certainly not going to be able to do that very often. <laughs> if and by very often, I mean ever. Um, I will do that. Uh, no, I think the problem with the Matrix is the guy cheated. He didn't really learn the shit. He just took the, the, the he got it all in like a, a pill form, you know. He kind of had it injected. So I think that's kind of cheating. So I, I'm going to say no on the Matrix on that one. Okay. I dislike it. The original John Wick. Oh, yeah, I mean. Yeah. Again, I think, I think it's possible that given time, that one's going to get Hall of Fame too, huh? Especially with all the inter- intertwining of gunfighting too. Yeah. It's, really it's, so how about yeah. that? So, so Rob, does does gunplay become part of martial arts? It's an extension of the body. I think if you're going to include weapon weapons, you got to include projectiles. Yeah, correct. Right. But the gun. I mean, the magazine changes, and the. I mean, obviously, there's way more way more uh, opponents than he would really face for real. But the mag changes and the tactics that they use is actually pretty good. It's funny because, like, from the Rocky getting Hall of Famed because of the spread, it kind of touches both sides of the spectrum. I think we might be talking about here of, like, Rocky One is a great martial arts movie, in my opinion, because of the journey of the person. And that's a huge part of martial arts, and, and we all have our own stories there. And John Wick One is, is about the journey of the person, but not the martial artist. It's him, like, with the haunted past, and he's already mastered everything. And so it, it, it puts the matrix question into a different 
lens because he kind of cheated because it, it wasn't about the journey of him becoming a martial artist, but the journey of himself as a person. Like, is that a John Wick movie or is that a Rocky movie? That's why I think that's why I think the question's so interesting because everybody's got their own version of what martial arts means to them. See, like I love Remo Williams because it's like the hero's journey, but it's it's not a really super high quality movie. But I mean, is comedy uh, on the table because you know, uh, um, you know, what's the uh, one with the with the with the the the, the, the three mystical guys? Jay's gonna absolutely. Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah, Big Trouble in Little China. That's totally a martial arts movie, right? Kinda, I get, you know, like, yeah. See, but it's not. It's not really the hero's journey, you know. So Jack Burton is the hero. Is everybody's hero? We we know this. Yeah. Let me ask. Let me ask this though, because this is a thing I've been thinking about, and it's like a maybe a serious question. Um, What is a like? What is a martial artist? And you know, like, so what defines a martial artist? Anybody can hit Rob. What do you think? What is a martial artist? It's a big question, George. You kind of, it's a, that's a wide one. Right. Well, I mean, I'm, this is something I've been thinking about in quarantine. I don't know. I think that it's someone that has dedicated their life to pursuing, making themselves as the best version of themselves they can through severe training, through martial arts type training. Can you be, can you be a black belt? in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but not really be a martial artist? Well, I think, I think like I started uh, obviously earlier on, um, back in the mid nineties, I started doing jiu-jitsu and, and back then it was, um, a much different atmosphere going into a jiu-jitsu school. It was more like what we call MMA today, where there was strikes, you start, you started on the feet and that kind of thing. And then, um, when competition kind of took over, it, you know, they, it was less and less of that and more focused on, you know, the point system of uh, grappling. And I think that as we've transceded through time, I think there is more newer people coming into the, to the art that do view it more as a sport than probably when I started, if that makes any sense. I was just talking with Rob Kahn about this. Uh, I don't know if you guys know Rob, but Rob's a friend of mine, been around a long time. And, and we were talking about that too, is there's a lot of the newer generation almost views it like hockey or basketball or baseball. Whereas our generation, you know, we, you know, it was more about fighting, so to speak, or do you survival. feel like, do you feel like sports and martial arts are mutually exclusive? No, I mean, I think they both complement each other. I, I love both. I, I think that, you know, I think competition is fantastic, you know, as long as you understand what it is, but I think it, I mean, you can go out there, you get to, you get the same kind of nerves you get in, in a real altercation. You have to face somebody you've never seen before. You, you have to, you got pressure on you. You, I think it makes you better preparing for it, knowing that day is coming. I think there's a tremendous uh, amount of, you know, pluses when it comes to competition. Um, but I also think that, you know, you sh- if you're, most everybody that ever comes to my school, every person that comes to my school, we always ask them. I have two academies. We always ask them, you know, why are you here? And the 99%, you know, they say they want to learn to protect themselves. Now, once they're there, they start to see, oh, there's a whole sport behind this. It opens up a whole new world for them. But it's, I've never had somebody walk in. We'd have one person. We had one person walk in uh, and say they, oh, they're there because they're, they want to compete and win the Worlds. You know, like that's, it's typically they come for other reasons. And then they find the sport later, if that makes sense. The issue that I have with this conversation, because I come from like, you know, the music side. And I think the fastest thing that professional artists will tell you is that they don't know how to define 
the word artist. I mean, that's a hard one. It's a hard one for anybody. I mean, I make a living making noise, which is can't be defined as anything but art, really. I mean, it's not a thing. I just go, nah, 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 and then people give me money, right? So it's like, it, it, it's hard to define it any other way. But the problem with this, uh, this is an old conversation for me. The problem I have with this conversation, and I'll throw it back to you, George, which is, where does being well-rounded and actually being able to actually protect yourself come into this? In other words, is an excellent boxer not a martial artist? Because if you take them down, they can't protect themselves. Well, I, well, I think there's, well go ahead. I think there's a mental facet to this thing. Do you, you know? see what I'm saying, though? Because, like, like, I can handle myself standing, but you get a good striker in front of me, and if I do not take them down or run away, I'm going to get my ass kicked. But I bring a lot of 20-something years of martial arts, but the well round, I have a big, I have that hole. I mean, I certainly am in no, I'm here with grappling and here with striking, and I don't feel the need to change it. So does that disclude? I'm not asking you to be polite to me. I'm saying some people will, they say, therefore that discludes you from martial arts. But, for example, you and I did a, a bunch of early sword training. And to this day, like, if Trevor pulls the sword, I'm on his hands faster than I even know that I'm going to be on his hands. I, I, does that make me more of a martial artist? Because maybe, so, you know, Gordon Ryan doesn't know how to put his hands on a sword. I mean, it's, it's a really weird question if you don't define whether versatility in what situation. Is it just your mental attitude? Well, I think you can be a specialist at one part of it, or you can be a generalist and be good across the board. I mean, look at other arts besides martial arts. Look at, you know, let's say you're, you can sing, but you can't paint. Does that mean you're not an artist? Well, that's the question. The question is, you're not saying, are we artists? This is martial artists. Like, I am shitty with a gun. I mean, I'm not a, I don't practice with a gun. I don't have any, any actual, you know, solid skills with guns at all. Um, that's see what I mean. Once you once you make it into a a breadth situation, like in what situation can you protect yourself? Um, yeah, I mean that's where the problem with the word martial arts comes in because it kind of gives you the impression that you're gonna be a badass kind of nowhere. Maybe even you know awesome, but you're gonna be okay in all situations or not. So it's a it hard question. Depends on the arena that you have to perform in. Right. And, and speaking from the point of view of, a, you know, of, of an LEO or whatever, someone who is doing this for a living, uh, obviously, please don't misunderstand anything I'm saying. I mean this with uh, only rhetorically and with nothing but complete respect. All right. So I, I'm, I'm actually more asking you that question than anything else, because I do not have to go out tonight and, uh, and defend myself in a real situation. Well, well, I think that there's always, you know, there's, there's basic, they, people will say there's like five ranges of fighting, you know, and, and, and different people will put different ranges and different numbers, but ultimately you've got, you know, striking range, you've got a clinch range, you've got a takedown and throw range, you've got a ground portion range, and then you've got, you know, what I call that fifth element of, well, you know, weapons-based environment, which can, can include any of those ranges, okay? So, you know, to be very well, I mean, any one of those ranges is a lifelong study. If you want to be the best shooters in the world, you've you got to be shooting all the thousands and thousands and thousands of rounds. If you want to be the best, you know, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt in the world, you are spending thousands of hours in the mat. I don't think any one person has enough hours in their life 
to dedicate to the point where they are complete expert in all ranges. I think that you can probably get fairly well at all, but you're, you know, to, to say you're a complete expert in every range and then tactics and every, I mean, it's, it's, it would be, you would never do anything but train. Um, and I, I think it's probably close to impossible. Maine, what do you think about this, man? Just because you're a martial artist doesn't mean you're a good martial artist. This yeah. oh. <laughs> got someone's a singer and a musician. Doesn't make them a good musician. Right on. Because like some people run podcasts, don't make them all good podcasts. Just there's there's a scale for all of it. And so it's like if you dedicate yourself at some, to some degree to furthering something that you do that is classified as a martial skill, you're a martial artist. Doesn't make you a good martial artist. Doesn't make you a good guy. Makes you a guy that trains martial arts. You're a martial artist. Yeah, it's funny. The easiest, not the easiest, the most direct answer, I think, is probably the most satisfying for me, George. We have the same conversation all the time. People are like, I got to practice more. You know, someday I'll be a musician or whatever. They come for lessons or I, I teach at a college, you know. And, you know, the first day I just look at people and go, all right, I'll be the, uh, the queen of uh, whether you're a musician. <laughs> you're a musician. Like, get over it. No, he makes a great point, though. There's, there's definitely, even among jiu-jitsu, I mean, there's definitely levels of black belts. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so I guess the question is, are you a martial artist? Yeah, if you're studying martial arts, then I guess you're a martial artist. Maybe that's the easiest answer. Like you, like you said, it doesn't mean you're good at it, right? I mean, I, I, we see, I see a lot of matches. I watch a lot of footage. I watch a lot of guys that are competitive martial artists that aren't that good. I see a lot of guys that are competitive martial artists that are good, and then a really good competitive martial artist comes along and makes them look not so good. So it's, it's a sliding scale. It's, there's, I think there's no really easy answer um, because it's all about how you define it. It's like if you want the ability to you know, be able to fight of any range, then like boxing is probably not your thing. If you want to be able to like take some down and choke them, we're probably doing the right sport. If you want to be able to take someone out from, you know, a quarter mile away, we're not doing the right sport. It's all about how you define it and where your goalposts are. Do they, is combat jiu-jitsu dead? What's that? Is the I think so. The sport? <laughs> Jesus. It's we stopped covering like it. We, I couldn't do it. It's still now, right? And no, it's still around. It's, uh, it's still a thing that uh, everyone's kind of done with. Um, we stopped covering it because none of our guys – we're watching it. And so I wasn't going to make our, our guys and our staff and our team uh, watch the event and then come and cover it when they didn't want to, they didn't want to cover the event. And we think we covered a couple of them. Then we covered a bunch of them actually. And then everyone just got like bored because you were watching, I know it, it's, it's still happening. We are no longer covering it because it makes the most defensive jujitsu around because everyone fights at this middle range um, where you're either not getting slapped or you're not grappling. For people who are uh, listening who don't know what we're talking about, combat jiu-jitsu, in a nutshell, is a different set of rules set where it's basically jiu-jitsu that you would sort of watch nogi jiu-jitsu, including slaps. There are certain other specific parts to the rules, but basically you can slap the shit out of people as long as you're on the ground and all that kind of stuff. So it, it's supposed to make, I guess the idea was, maybe you can characterize the guy, it was supposed to make it a little more... So violent it, or something, I, I guess. 
kind of. It was supposed to make it more exciting, really, and be in what Marvel was trying to do with it, sort of. And what I've heard from a couple people was make it a an entry point into MMA for guys, for grapplers that were looking to get into MMA that didn't want to go the straight jumping into MMA route. Um, you know, it adds strikes, there's finishes, it's more exciting, it sort of gives them an on-ramp. The kind of problem with it is, and I think all of us have been around MMA for many years now, is amateur MMA is a sport that exists. That's exactly it. it. Then go, go MMA. And the problem with it is, like, look, you want to fight real amateur MMA and you want to basically do a pro match and not get paid for it, Virginia is the place to go. Like elbows, knees to the head, all of it. You're legal. You're good to go. You want to play a much nicer rule set? You're going to go to PA or, you know, where there's shin guards and there's a novice amateur rule set. There's a bunch of, there's a sliding scale. Combat Jiu-Jitsu is an even more neutered rule set to that. And it sort of has a bunch of failings because you can't really do real damage most of the time with strikes unless you're significantly better than the guy you're fighting, in which case you can, but then you probably could have submitted them anyway. Or it's, it's, it kind of fails in what it was aiming to do, which is make jiu-jitsu more exciting. And it just made jiu-jitsu more boring to watch. Well, I feel like there was a little bit of an element of a troll there too, where a lot of people are going, well, you know, you can't do heel hooks, you know, MMA because you're going to get punched in the face. And I think it was almost like, we're daring you to see here, here, look at this. See, now when you put this, all your fancy little, you know, rolling shit, is it going to work? But it still fucking works. You know, it's, it, the proof is already in MMA, at least for me. I wasn't attracted to it because you're like, yeah, well, look at someone who's great at it. Look at I've seen Maya. him in Ori. I've seen him do stuff in MMA. I've seen him get shinned in the face and knocked out. Right. I've also seen him be magical and enter in the legs and rip guys' legs off. Like, I've seen him do both. And if you watch, and it's, it's combat jiu-jitsu is really interesting if you are just getting into grappling and you haven't watched enough of it to really understand where it works really well and where it breaks down. Once you've kind of figured that out as a viewer, I had much less interest in it because it takes away a lot of what makes professional grappling really fun to watch, which is some dude doing an Imanari rule to your legs. And it takes away guys willing to do the flash subs and willing to do the risky moves because they don't want to get palmed in the face. And so now you take away the piece that was the really fun piece and that carrot on the stick of professional grappling. And now you get a bunch of matches where, okay, I'm not going to let you slap me and you're not going to let me slap you. So we're in this middle ground of the guard. And then we're in the far range of the guard where I'm not going to let you slap me and you're not going to let me slap you. But you can't really pass my guard because you're not good enough. But you can't really slap me. So then we're going to overtime which everyone loves to watch. Yeah. And it just, it just kind of breaks down. Um, it's it's yeah. funny. I, I heard, uh, I heard Hinger. And again, if you know this better than me, you should, uh, you know, please take it, take it from me. Uh, describe how, if you just take, if you want to just fast forward, you know, five years, 10 years into EBI rules, he goes, bottom line, the way the rules work is if I'm on the bottom, uh, I am, I am no steps to subs to like five or six subs right here. You know, if you're in my guard, and if I'm on you, uh, in order to pa- I have like three steps to most subs. Obviously, you can, you know, fuck it, I'll take a heel hook. But you're going to have to pass. You're going to have to get position. You're going to have to find the sub. You're going to go get the sub. He goes, so logically, if we're going to take this as a professional sport, everybody needs to sit down. You can't stand up. There's no reason to stand up and try to pass because you're absolutely putting yourself at a disadvantage unless you go to overtime, which means you have two situations. One, we're going to fuck around until we go to overtime. 
or two, we're going to both sit down. He goes, so that's the problem with the rule set. And I remember thinking, wow, well, you're not going to get invited anymore, but I can't really argue with that. Do you think I'm crazy going along with him on that one? No, I mean, look, Hanger, for everything Hanger does, Hanger's a smart dude. Keenan's a smart dude, and they run yep. a podcast that's really fun to watch because both of them are super high-level competitors with a lot of wins against a lot of guys who are also really, really good. They're also both smart guys and typically go into rules understanding the rules, which you would be sort of surprised how often that is not the case. How many grapplers I've talked to that win events that didn't know the rules going into it. I'm like, that's, yeah, that's a that's very strange Hard way. for me to understand, yeah. yeah. As a but coach, Keenan, Hanger, Gordon, Galvao, all those guys are guys that are pretty well known for knowing the rules and understanding what you can and can't do very well and game planning specifically towards the rules and the best pathway to victory. Why wouldn't you? I mean, that's, that's, you're, you're not there to lose. You're there to win. I agree, though. guys that compete in the IBJJF that don't know the IBJJF rules. I, I understand, yes. Because it, it, it's, it's, it's not hard. It's boring. And a lot of guys that train jujitsu want to train jujitsu. They don't want to read the rules, look at the, you know, look at how it plays, and look. Okay, can do this here, and this means I'm going to get points. You know, you see black belts at the world championship every single year arguing with the ref over something, and it's not because they're trying to pull a fast one. It's because they just didn't understand exactly what they did resulted in this outcome. Right. And it typically is not that the highest guy is at the highest level, but there's a lot of guys that get really far that don't know their rules well. So back to your original point, Hanger understands sort of where it goes. And that's why I like the ADCC style rule set. And honestly, the third coast style rule set, because you have to give a point structure. Like every sport has a point structure. There are very few sports that have any sort of viewership that don't have some sort of pathway for their viewers to understand who's winning. Points in our school are a very easy way to do that. You can, if you explain the points, you can follow. Like everyone's like, oh, grappling's too complicated. American football is super. <laughs> I've, I've argued this so many times. And I know a bunch of drunk dudes on Sunday that can quote you exact things and years that specific rule changes for how you could touch a certain player, a certain location on the field changed. If those guys can follow it, people can follow our sport too. The problem is there's a lot of pieces in our sport that aren't exciting because we don't have aggressive stalling rules and a bunch of other rules that go along with that. But understanding your rules in the EBI format, there are no points. So if you don't get a submission, you go to overtime. You either get really good at overtime and usually a really specific thing of overtime, you see guys that are typically either back control guys or arm guys. And everyone pretty much has gone, oh, the back is way easier to hold because I could win by either holding you or submitting you. So I can do that easily in the back position. And then on the third overtime, they're going to go to the arm because if they're down, they need to get the sub. So right. you've wasted 10 minutes you know, waiting for the back or two minutes, depending on what round it is. And guys play to the rules. It's not the fault of the athletes to play to the rules because it's the athlete's job to win. It's not the athlete's job to be exciting, which is kind of why I appreciate Hanger because Hanger gets that he's right. going to be exciting. That's why he went for the flying armbar in Kasai and almost right. knocked himself out because he gets to be called back to events. You have to be exciting. That's why I love yeah. Bagger Hosha. That's why I love Gary Tonin. Like yeah. they got play to the rule set while also being exciting. But that's just a benefit those guys give us. Your job as a professional in any sport is to win. It is not to be exciting. And so jujitsu has to craft a rule set that combines those two things and incentivizes being exciting with points. Well, we also know that uh, you know, even at my level, even at my uh, lower, certainly than, than you guys' level, I mean, the, the, the feeling of what it's like 
the same technique, three different guys, three different levels. The feeling of what's happening is where a lot of the excitement happens. It's very hard to translate that into what you're watching unless you are excellent. So that brings back to that whole thing, which I guess you probably could speak to as, as well as anyone, which is how many of the people that are watching this really don't know what's going on? That's the thing. It's like, it's a, it's a little bit of a self-fulfilling thing, right? I mean, it's a complicated thing. Everybody watching already gets it. So we're trying to make it more exciting for the person that doesn't get it or whatever. You're well, like, the big problem is a lot more than a little most sports that you don't understand are really difficult to understand. Let's say if I'm going to explain them, right. most people getting into our sport, it's a hobbyist sport and you're typically not watching unless you're into that hobby. The same way that, you know, you don't go and watch a regular running meet, you know, for the quarterfinals of the Olympic trials, unless you are a runner. You right. know, you watch the Olympics, you watch ADCC, you watch, you know, the 100-meter dash with Usain Bolt in the finals of the Olympics, but I'm not going to watch all the trial heats because I'm not a runner. I'm not into that. Um, the same thing happens with grappling. We're in a, an amateur sport overall, and there are some professional events that you can watch, but people typically aren't going to be viewing. It. And so if we want to bridge that gap, there's a lot of work to be done. And typically that comes with educating the people watching and having an exciting sport. Grappling right now is in a really rough spot because a lot of times what makes something exciting is not the best practice to actually win the match. Okay. Winning match, passing the guard is really hard to do and it's not worth a lot of points. Okay. Sweeping also really hard to do, not worth a lot of points. And so you end up with these long stalemates that unless you are really into grappling and understand either some of the context and the storyline behind why this match is so important between these two guys. And that involves buildup that involves really good commentary. That's both explaining what the context of the match is and the history behind the two guys and the stakes of the event. You know, it's very, very hard to do. And then something happens in the match and then your layman person goes, okay, that guy just got two points, but he's on his back still. I don't know what happened. Having commentary, having overlays and things to explain that is what's going to sort of bring that to the next level. And a lot of times that doesn't exist. There are very few really good jujitsu commentators right now. There are a couple of them that do a great job, but it's a really hard sport to commentate. Like I'm not a great commentator and we do commentary a couple of times a year. It's really hard to do. It's very hard to explain to the layman what's happening and to make it exciting. Others do that really well with the league format, like NBA. Okay. You know, this team is going to face this team. It results in this championship league, but with super fights for jujitsu, unless you have the overarching context of what that athlete has been doing recently and where they stand, it's very hard to put that in a cohesive story to understand why this match is important. I can hear what you're saying. I think, so I come from, I'm a performer, right? So performers know, especially if you're doing a sort of a scripted performance, you know exactly how long it is before, between every exciting thing. That's as simple as that. If you look at just a television show, you can look at a graph that will say, this is where the jokes are going to land to make sure everybody stays interested. It's simple. So if you were to just sit down and just go around, I'll bet you if we went around these, these five people here and said, what do you think is exciting? First off, we don't get an agreement. Two, are they mapped out so that they're, I mean, basketball is great because basketball sucks. It's super boring. But every time down the the court you have a chance for something exciting to happen someone might dunk that's exciting or someone might 
you know, uh, a juke somebody or whatever you would call it in basketball. Sorry, guys. Uh, you know what I'm saying? It's like, or someone shoots a three or someone steals. Like there's five or six very simply defined things that are exciting that can happen at any time. So the, the chances of this happening on a very regular basis, even though it's a super boring sport, because it almost always goes to likes, you know, the 10 point difference or whatever, right? It's like, so I know when I'm playing, I know exactly what songs are coming or if they're not, we'll move them around on stage to make sure we know we're hitting the buttons. I don't even know if anybody can even sit down and say, what is exciting about watching uh, grappling? That said, let me just mea culpa right now. The whole reason why I got to jujitsu is because my judo game was eliminated from judo. They just changed the rules because oh, they decided it wasn't that exciting. So they said, you can't touch anybody below the belt until they X, Y, Z. It's so esoteric, so obviously biased towards the Japanese fighters, against the Russian fighters, against the Eastern European fighters, so obviously based on this weird idea that the only thing that people would, and it's not that weird, the only thing people would cheer for is a big throw. And so they actually did what it is we're talking about doing. They eliminated all the stuff that people didn't cheer for and made this weird sport now, which it is fun to watch the highlight reels, but it has very little to do with actually training something that I would want to train. And you take it from the other side, until you get to the professional level, most people are not training to win on points. They're training because they're training, like Rob's saying, they're training for self-defense. And someone says, hey, take it into a re realistic sort of like situation. Go to a competition. Nobody's thinking about entertaining anyone at all, right? They're thinking about, hey, I'm gonna, I want to line up for the first time in my life against some guy who I don't know, and I want to put myself on the line, especially if they don't come from a fighting background. These two things have nothing to do with each other. The old entertainer guy is like, you got nothing, P.T. Barnum. You got nothing interesting. What is going to happen in a grappling match that is going to make someone who is not a grappler go, oh, shit, I'll tell you what's going to happen. Gary Taunton's going to get sent by Paul Harris. I don't care who you are. When that guy gets sent, I mean, I almost wish that he let him do that just to have that moment. You know what else? I hate to say it. It's when uh, some, when Rosha goes and is Rosha kicks the guy off the stage. AJ Agazarm? Boom. Like, it's such an entertaining moment because you're supposed to hate AJ for whatever reason. I don't want to get – it's just it, – it really, is that what we're training for? The answer is I'm not training for that. So the disconnect between the, quote, professional version of this and what would make it successful with a non-grappling audience and what people come to this martial art for, which is to save their life, to pull them out of abusive situations, to give them power where they don't have any power and go on forever, man. But these two things, have, in my opinion, in my opinion only, nothing to do with each other. Entertainment and why I train. Hey, let me ask you about tournaments. Do you talk to any of the tournament, uh, you know, directors, people that put in a, you know, they're obviously in a tough situation. Um, yeah, I mean, like right now or like in general? Right now, right now. Yeah, I've talked to a bunch of guys. Um, it's rough. I think I interviewed um, the promoter for Grappling Industries uh, a couple weeks ago on the show. Uh, they're in a rough spot um, because they've canceled. Actually, I was going to compete for the first time in about a year and a half since I broke my back uh, April 11th. 
and that got canceled because uh, Maryland is under lockdown or under stay-at-home order currently, and so I couldn't compete for that. So luckily, I don't have to make weight, which is great. But sorry, um, you can't compete. I'm sorry. That must have been that must have been hard to because like, you're love, going back, right? You're really yeah, looking to I come love, back. Yeah. I'm like that weird guy that loves competing. Like I don't get nervous. I just I just love to do it. Like I love to go and just go and test and compete. And so it sucks because I've been out for a year and a half from doing that. And then I was about to go back and then it got canceled. So talk to the promoters. Promoters are in a rough spot right now. Um, I think Seth Daniels, who runs Fight to Win, uh, Ryan McGuire, who runs Third Coast Grappling, um, and Josh LaDuke did a podcast, uh, I think last week, where they talked about some of the trials and some of the issues going on right now. Basically, everything is shut down until June for the most part. And live events are going to be the last thing to come back. So, you know, okay, you're going to open your businesses first. You're going to open this. Then the last thing that's going to open up is concert venues and, you know, big gatherings of people of four or five, 600 plus people. Thank you so much for reminding me, Maine. I have two potential European tours this fall, which are both not happening. It's just... Yep. And, and that, but that's the, last, that's the last thing that's going to open back up. And so all of those guys are going, um... What, what do we do? And that's a very real, and nobody has any answers because no one knows uh, much about, you know, how this, vi- what, what's going to happen with this virus. I mean, I have a background a little bit in disease pathology because I used to do that kind of research, um, but no one knows. And it could be six months. It could be 16 months. And everyone's in a very uncertain time for when they're going to be able to run events again. And the other big problem that is people are kind of forgetting about in general is although you may be able to run events in let's say 10 weeks, um, no one's been training. So a lot of your guys aren't going to want to immediately jump back in and fight the first week that they can because they've been off for two months or three months. Maybe they're in shape. Maybe they're not in shape. Everyone's going to have to have to knock some rust off. So you may or may not get guys that are desperate for matches to get in and you may or may not have your audience there. So everyone's in a tough spot. I'm going to hopefully do some interviews with some of those guys over the next like two or three weeks. Um, I'm trying to schedule a few of them from our show just to talk about, you know, what's going on, what the landscape looks like, what their thoughts are for upcoming events, uh, just to see, you know, what we're going to be able to cover in the next two months. I'd be really interested to hear those. Uh, am I crazy? It felt like this really started to get some serious momentum. It felt like everybody wasn't really warring with each other. There was still some politics, but it was starting to lift. Like you had so many different potential rule sets. What do you think? Was it just me? Uh, I didn't quite understand the question. Well, you feel like before this happened, before the COVID came along, it felt like between Fight to Win and and Third Coast and and things like, you know, one, uh, you know, competing with UFC, it felt like like there was a situation where there was getting to be some momentum in the idea of going out and seeing some grappling or seeing grappling being a potential sport. Am I crazy? We talk about it a lot. I mean, we could not have run the show that we run two years, you know, in 2015. There just wasn't enough professional events happening. I started curating a professional event calendar on our website um, for upcoming events. And I started doing one internally in 2018, probably. And there were some weeks where there was just no events. And we had to fill it with, you know, something else to talk about old matches. We talk about this up. We preview things in two two different weeks in a row. Um, Nowadays, I think the last time that we have not had two or three events minimum is like the Christmas season where there's about a two-week break there. Every 
other week in the year, 50 weeks a year, there are one to six events happening broadcast events with commentary that we would cover on the show that did not exist, you know, for four years ago. It, it this is, this is something that definitely coincides with what I'll call independent music, meaning rather than, you know, the, the big tours and the big, it just coincides when it, whatever momentum was going was in one week completely eliminated with no chance of coming back. And of course, you know, people are going to do what they're going to do. Musicians can find their way, but yeah, this is a, uh, it's, it's, it's hard. People will talk to me. I, again, I, I'm, I'm lucky to teach at a college. They'll talk about with the future with me. I have some sort of expertise going in in terms of, of musical performance. And I've been lucky to do some pretty cool shit. And it's like, I have the answer. This is not it. It's not happening. It's, you are yeah. not going to say, yeah, sure, we're just going to push the tour back by 12 weeks. It's not happening. We're not doing this. So yeah. find a different solution. Yeah, it, it's rough right now because a lot of these promoters, you know, there isn't, you know, there isn't another outlet. There, this is what these guys do. And so you're looking at a couple of different – Jiu-Jitsu overall is going to suffer very, very greatly from this. And like I say, kind of frequently on the show, there are no winners here. I don't want to be a downer because I'm really enjoying this show. Um, <laughs> don't ruin it, man. Hey, the truth is the truth. That's what's good. Well, Tell the truth. What we do in jitsu is it's a leisure hobby. And we have a lot of people out of work with a lot of unemployment. We're going to lose a lot of people that were grappling. We're going to have a lot of blue belts that don't come back for a long time. You know, more so than we already do. We're going to have a lot of people that are we're into the sport or starting into the sport or financially something came up. That's going to be magnified in the next eight months. And the people that were going out to events and going to shows and doing, you know, doing extra things because they were an okay place financially, that's going to slow down. And then you're going to have people that were competing. They're going to compete less. They're going to sell less tickets. Their promoters are going to have a hard time. Like this going to, it's going to cascade and it's going to be a really rough time for the next six to 18 months, depending on what model you're looking at for how this is all going to play out. Um, there's some really great models and there's some not so good models, but a lot of it really changes every two weeks, every like 10 days. The yeah, models updated, yeah. And, you know, it's, it's a rough spot for everyone. So I really hope that everything comes back. I've talked to a lot of promoters and they've made good plans for three and four months out. But if they can't run events for six months, you know, we're not in a rich sport overall. Lot, most promotions and most events and they can't, they can't field six months worth of staffing. They yeah, can't no field six months worth of, okay, they're playing rent on the truck or the facility or the location or their staff salaries. And everyone's going to suffer. We're not, the big ones are still going to be there. The IBJF is still going to be there. ADCC is still going to be there. But a lot of your smaller promotions, the ones that run one or two events locally a year, are probably not going to run events next year. And that's really right. sad because that's what a lot of like what I compete in, what my team competes in. And the students that I train, that's what they compete in. I push them to compete locally. And hey, it's less money, go and do that. They're not going to have an opportunity to do that. So it's, it sucks for the community. Like no one wins here. And I really hope that we can recover and go back to sort of what it was because yeah, like you said, we were reaching a point where we had a professional circuit where if you were an active competitive grappler, you could go fight on Polaris and fight to win and, yeah. uh, you know, pick them in third coast and, you know, pick and choose your event that you could go and you could be active, you know, every couple weeks making a paycheck, you know, getting paid for a professional fight. 
that may or may not be the case in the next six months. Yeah, without being too trite about it, I mean, uh, anybody who understands anything about economics knows that economics is not about money. It's about people. It's about what people do. And, and there's a, everything is related to one, uh, one another. And it, it, yeah, it's, it's a tricky one. I think that another thing that the sort of no wind since we're putting it out there is everybody's thinking about when's the school going to open up again. I think there's, there's the reality of that idea is that it's not a binary. There's a difference between training jujitsu and training jujitsu in a room with 25 other people. And over the next couple of weeks, as antibody testing comes down or whatever the trick is, we're going to have a new set of classes. I mean, classes of people, people who are clear, people who are not clear, people who are at risk. And the idea of just taking this wide range of people and throwing them all into a room together, which is what giant group classes are, doesn't really make a lot of sense, at least for the time being. So it doesn't mean that you can't open your school until the only thing you can do is put 40 people into a room again, which means there's these interim steps that are coming along. We're lucky on the podcast that's spoken with some pretty smart people about this, but it's obvious that there's going to be a bunch of people that have already had this that are not going to get it again. And now their big question about them is, are they going to be vectors to other people rather than are they themselves going to end up in the goddamn hospital, right? And that means you're going to have to separate these people. Da, da, da. So I, I, I think one of the things we're going to have to foresee is a lot of private training a lot of people are going to say we're past that big problem, but we're not okay opening a, a 40 person class. A lot of smaller classes that are going to have to be, they're going to have to, I hate to say it. I mean, it's America loves everyone to be equal. I mean, that's what the whole point of America is, but we're creating a situation where there's going to be people that are not equal. There are people who have, or can't get this and people who can get this and people who work with the elderly and, and regretfully, it comes to the the awful, awful realization of the uh, of the of the owners of the people that own all these individual clubs to make these decisions. Are you supposed to say, "Oh, you got to get tested and show me your test before you could show up"? Ah, it's tough. So no, yeah, we could, we could take a pause and we could just go to twenty twenty one. Like that would be great. I'm about done with this twenty twenty. Like, yeah, I agree. I, came, I, saw, I was like, cool, this sucked. Uh, I'm done. On to the next one. If I, can make, if I can make everybody feel a little better, because we've been a little depressing. Uh, one of the cool things about being in music is music has been here for a million, billion years, depending on religion, and will be here for another million, billion years. And us musicians get to see this all the time. Music isn't going anywhere. Uh, there's still the bottom line is I'm still going to look at my, my metaphorical brothers and going, it is time to put this on right now forever. The guys are going to fight forever. And so the problem is the reality of right now is tough because it relates to business and your friends and all the things. And some people need jujitsu a lot, or they needed this, they need to fight, you know, they need to do something. I know. Right. And it's like solving that problem. I'm just telling you from the musician side, fighting's not going anywhere. Right now, it's tough, but this is not going to get, this is not going to take away martial arts. It's not going to take away combat. So, what are you going to do? You know? You can't fast forward. Sorry, man. What was that, Rob? I got a question for Maine. Uh, so, you watch obviously hundreds and hundreds of hours of matches. How, how, do, you, how, how do you feel it's helped you in your own game? watching all these different matches and, and how long, how long back did you start doing this? And did you notice a point in time where people started, where there was a shift where people really started to get better? Over so, history? uh, in history, 
it's always, you got to look at anything. Like I, I've been watching MMA for a long, long time before I got into jujitsu. And you always got to look at the match and the footage that you're looking at in respect to the era that it's in. Like you watch a fight from 99, it's going to look wildly different from a fight from 2005 uh, f- for the most part. The same thing with jujitsu. You can't paint stuff with the same brush. Like Marcelo tapping Rico Rodriguez with the heel hook the heel hook that he hits him with, it's not going to work in today's day and age for the most part. It's a very basic fallback. It's a good heel hook, don't get me wrong, but it's not something you're probably going to see in ADCC anymore. doesn't mean it wasn't great at the time. And so you look at the matches that we're looking at stuff now under the context of it is in the modern era. I compare it to the guys at that weight class, first of all, because what you're seeing from Bruno Maffesine is very different than what you're seeing from Keenan and very different than what you're seeing from Shane Jamil Hill Taylor. Like you look at the weight class, look at what's, what the guys are doing in those weight classes. Then you look at, you know, their light competition. The guys at heavyweight don't have to have a dynamism of game like the guys at rooster weight like the game looks different and the techniques are going to look different so once you understand that um going back it's helped me a little bit but really it's helped me become a better studier of tape like i now know when i'm going to do to watch matches for i'm looking to incorporate things in my own game i know who to watch and exactly what matches to find i can find it much easier and then I know exactly what I'm looking for. Okay, I like how this guy enters for this particular armbar. Okay, what is he doing? I know what I'm not looking at anymore, and I know what where I need to know where his right arm, where his far side leg is in this transition, and when he decides to make the step, or what is his trigger to fire off this armbar. Like those are the things I've gotten a lot better at looking at. And so when we talk about matches on the, on the podcast, that's a lot more what we talk about. Now we do less play by play of like, this is what happened in the match. We talk about, Hey, if you're looking to watch this match, watch what he does here, because this is particular to what this guy does, or this is what we think made this effective. So it's made me a lot better in understanding like, Oh, um, He's going to put his foot here in this situation. He is not going to do it until the guy makes the long step over. And so it helps you in that respect. Um, It also helps you really understand the levels of guys. Like I can know what matches to watch and what matches to like kind of skip through because I have a ranking in my head now of who's probably going to beat who. And so it helps you kind of parse the tape study a lot easier to figure out where I'm going to commit my time to doing in-depth match study for stuff that I'm looking to take away personally versus the big matches that I'm looking to talk about for the podcast. I gotcha. And I can see where it could make you not only better as a, as a teacher, as a practitioner, but also as a coach, like all three areas, it would improve. Yeah. You, it, it's right? definitely helped me most as a coach. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, the level of instruction that I can give now, having just watched so much tape study and taken all the notes, really, I, we take a lot of notes on the show. So I pull a note, I have a bunch of screens here and I'll pull up whatever match I'm watching and I'll pull up two usually adjacent um, screens. One is just notes and one is usually like a bracket or a copy of the rules for that event. Just so that I can understand what I'm watching um, or like the context. Of, okay, this is the fourth match in, the guys are tired. You're going to be seeing guys being tired here versus, okay, this is the fresh match. Both guys should be good and ready to go. It gives you some context for the notes you're taking on that match. And so it's made me a lot better in identifying, oh, he is struggling here with this kind of passing. Why? And then answering those questions so that if I have a student that, man, he really just cannot pass the X guard. Well, why can't he pass the X guard? Okay. 
I've seen guys struggle in X, Y, and Z places before, or I've seen guys that are really good at passing do X, Y, and Z in this position and be able to give them that information. Even if it's not something in my own game, that's really where it's helped me. I I have a lot more of like matches that I've seen that is outside of my own game. So it's helped me advise and coach people that don't necessarily play the game that I play um, more effectively. It's kind of like scenes in movies. You can go back and remember like a scene in a movie, much like probably a scene in a match where you yeah. can translate that to somebody you're, you're coaching. I would right. Say. Especially, and I think it's, it's most helpful. Yeah. When guys don't do stuff that I do, like I'm a butterfly guard X player. And that's really where I want to play most of the time in close guard. If you are playing like a De La Hiva or like a lasso guard, like I'm not your guy. Like I can teach you and walk you through some stuff, but I am not the guy that should be coaching you in that. And it's helped me much more effectively recognize my shortcomings as well as like a coach and instructor. Like, Hey, you know, I understand you should do X, Y, and Z here, but you should talk to, you know, this person or association or affiliation because they're going to lead you through better. If you're interested in watching tape study yourself, look at X, Y, and Z guy, but realizing where I'm out of my depth, watching match study has helped me for that a lot. That's cool. Yeah, thank you. I thought that was just interesting. Rob, what do you got next coming up on the code, man? Um, I'm actually, uh, there's a guy from team link. Um, uh, first name is Eric. Uh, I don't want to say who his last name yet, but he's a um, he's a paramedic in the city, um, and he's been dealing immensely with this uh, COVID nineteen thing. So he's a black belt, second degree black belt, uh, known for a while. He's going to come on the show and and talk about you know what he's seeing in the out there in the in the city environment with the sick people and you know how it's changed his job and stuff like that and how he was telling me a little bit how normally jujitsu is a release like it is for me you know you see a lot of bad things terrible things you know murders and suicides and you know uh fatal car accidents and everything else and you you go home and if you if you don't have a release for that it can really mess you mess mess with you so jujitsu has always been like a release for us you go on the mat we're kind of talking about a little bit earlier where you can just go on the mat roll and train and be in that positive environment and forget a lot of that stuff well that's gone for guys like us now you know for the most part so we're going to talk a little bit about that because um I mean, you're going to see, I got a lot of you know, veterans, I got a lot of law enforcement, firefighters, stuff like that, and they tremendously depend on training as mental health for them. <laughs> so, and now it's like gone, it's eliminated from their lives. And, you know, yeah, man, and, and you can't, I, I, I strongly say, I'll say it one last time and I'll shut up, but I, I don't think you can weigh someone in that situation against someone who's a hobbyist and would like to come in a couple of times a week. If you, if, if someone who depends on this as part of their entire life and living, it has to wait until it's okay for casuals to show up to train, this isn't going to work. You've got to be able to figure out how to, some people need to weigh that. They need to weigh that the, the, the positives and negatives and make those decisions as free adults. Right. But at the same time, you got to protect. It's a tough one. But I've got to believe there's a way that you can get back to it other than everyone in America, all right, now you can go train jiu-jitsu, you know? I hope that's not making people upset, but I feel strongly that, that you should be able to train at some point here ahead of time. Not everybody's the same person. A lot of difference of opinion on that, even among jiu-jitsu people. <laughs> I, I know. Have, uh, yeah. Several doctors that train with me and – you know, if you sit down and talk with them and they're on the front lines in the hospitals, they're, they're like, listen, I love jiu-jitsu as much as you do, but, you know, we can't train right now. 
period. No, 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 I agree. What I'm trying to segregate is the idea of, are you looking at the doctor and going, when can I open my school back up to these 150 people? Or are you looking at the doctor going, all right, in this situation, let's take this subgroup of people who are dependent on it for another reason. I'd like to ask the doctor that question too. That's all I guess I'm saying. Yeah, I've had that, actually just had that conversation with, uh, with one of them the other day. And he's a, uh, He's a brown belt. He's trained a long time. He was, just, you know, he was in uh, special forces or anything else. And he's like, listen, I, I, I love you to death. I wouldn't come roll with you right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, so, that's good to hear because we don't hear this information. Yeah. It's I always mean, predicated on the idea that just everybody just goes and trains, you know. I just dealt with a guy a few, like maybe 10 days ago uh, at work uh, that was positive and he died uh, about two days ago. So. Yeah, I, I am not advocating for people going to train. It's very well, easy to be misunderstood on a podcast here. Yeah. If you look on Facebook and stuff like that, there's a whole lot of people on anybody's tread probably that are absolutely way or the other. They're like, oh, this is all a hoax. We've got to go train. This is stupid. And then you got the people on the other end of the uh, jiu-jitsu is done. We're never training again. <laughs> I mean, you got these opposite extremes. And right. I think the one's true. I think that it's somewhere in the middle. Um, right. And uh, I, I agree with me. And it's going to be – June, July, probably August before you start to see real competitions back and people training. And, and, and I think it'll be a slow trickle in. I think your diehard, you know, jiu-jitsu people out there, as soon as the, the government clears us to train, they're going to be waiting at the door. And I think you're going to have a lot of people that maybe, you know, they don't have the investment in their life with it yet. And it, it may very well be on the, on the sidelines for a while. So you, make, you make a good point. There is a little self-selection here too, which is that people who are on the fence, whether even if it's clear, maybe this is not a good idea or this is a good idea, those people who are less serious about it will self-select and not show up as much, which is bad for the club in general as a business, but it may actually make it better for those who do choose to train, make it safer for those who choose to train by making it a smaller group. I mean, there's definitely different levels of investment that people have in that, you know, so it just depends. I got a great guy for your podcast, Rob. Who's that? Uh, Greg Sinelli. Do you know Greg? I don't think I know Greg. Oh, goodness. Wow. You do have um, someone good for the podcast. We've done a um, podcast with him. He's like, he's one, he's a great guy. I'll, I'll send you his information. Um, but he, yeah, he's, he's awesome. Um, Kyle Jackson, what's up? What do you, what do you got going on uh, in the future here? Uh, I'm just going to keep doing our thing. I, I think we take a lot of pride that Clockwork was one of the first gyms in New York City to close. It's so easy to have every iteration in your head spin around to try to find a way to ignore what's going on and find a way to train. And we are certainly going to just be following the best practices of what the people smarter than us are going to say. So until so then, we're going to be doing this, I, I think. It's shameful for people to make any decision other than that, and they're free to do that. So that's the choice, right? Um, I think Perfect Role is where my focus is going to be. It was really great to be able to help. And it started from people that were taking private lessons with me who moved away and just wanted to still have my point of view on problems he was having. That's where it snowballed from. So my big call to action for anyone listening is, is to reach out to me. Um, Facebook or Instagram, Kyle Jackson, BJJ. I would love to get your amateur footage to be able to break it down on the stream. That, that's the big thing I'm looking for to be able to socialize all of our games together. We can certainly understand what Hoffa Mendes does differently than everyone else in the world, but we can also learn a lot. And Riddler were saying this before of being able to just see that one mistake that purple belt is making is going to help us all get better. So I 
desperately miss training, um, but we have to do what's right. So until then, we're going to sharpen this. We're going to back up the idea that we are martial artists and it's more than just grinding the iron in the gym. That's my take and that's my plan. Um, yeah, man. So, you know what I, I've learned, I guess, is that um, I, I train, you know, I've, I've trained six days a week for years, five, six days a week, years. And I love to roll for sure. However, the thing that really, it turns out that is even the biggest part of my life is like the community. The, the, like the, I mean, I spent a lot of time on the mat with a bunch of jujitsu people talking about jujitsu stuff and blah, blah, you know, and so that was the big, I feel like the biggest part. And so doing this has really been awesome uh, for me therapeutically, you know, but also like, you know, and I, and I bring the, I've brought, or we've brought together uh, old friends that I haven't seen in a little bit. And then I met Maine, which is a new friend. And so that's the positive, you know, thing, right? I hope that hopefully we can all take some positive stuff out of this thing. Like, um, you know, my community is so tight and so great, like through jujitsu, like it's, it's, uh, I'm truly blessed. And even if we can't roll, like, you know, we'll be able to again, for sure. Yep. Here's an interesting thing for you, uh, uh, is that um, I've had many, many emails and Facebook messages and stuff like that of people that were on the fence to train before, but never had. And now that it, they, it isn't even a choice, they can't. They're like, as soon as this clears, I'm going to come do it. Wow. You know? so, and, and doing these like Zoom classes for our students, we've had a lot of um, family members that don't train that have decided to train alongside their family member on their home mats or whatever. And that was like a, you know, break the ice for them. And now when this is over, they want to come sign up. So, you know, there's that too. So it could, you know, offset. A couple of podcasts ago, we had someone uh, talking about that, which is that the entry, uh, uh, the sort of the jump over the curb for a lot of people is tough, especially if they don't have fighting background. They're probably terrified to walk in. How many stories do you hear where someone like, I was going to go and I walked by and I said, no, you know, people were afraid. Some some clubs are not set up for this, but those clubs that are that are set up to receive people who may be weak and would like to be stronger or whatever – these Zoom things are awesome because people kind of see into what it's really like and it's not as, as, as potentially terrifying in their own minds. They make up these, yeah, I'm going to walk in and all these guys are going to beat me up. And, you know, it's your job as a white belt to get beat up for six years. You know, and while that's kind of true, it's not really actually getting beat up and it's not that bad and it's not that scary. And, so yeah, I mean that was a that really struck me that a lot there is a definite positive to this, which is people who would never actually walk into the academy get to watch this alongside their family members, the people they're quarantined with, or they can just watch these things on the internet by themselves. So more power to you guys. I remember asking my coach once, uh, Pedro Sauer. I said, "How do you judge uh, the level of an instructor or a coach?" And he says. I don't look at who their best student is. I look how far they brought their worst. Yeah. So that's kind of cool, right? So you, like yeah, you say, you're killing me. Yeah, I'm, I'm staying quiet. Yes, you, you yes. People that come in and you think they never do. Like some some of my best competitors now um, are people that never would have done jujitsu, but they kind of got like really dragged in there and they stuck with it and they ended up just changing them over time. And now it, they look that, back like without it. That was what I was gonna say about. 
being a martial artist it was, was the amount of change that you went through in order to get to where you are. That's my definition, but it's just me. Anyway, yeah, man. Thank you, guys. Thank, Thank you, guys, you. for coming from coming and talking to me. I look forward to uh, at some point here. We're all going to get together. I'm going to get to hang out with you on the mat. I miss you guys. <laughs> I'm excited to all connect again on the Grappling Rewind collabo show when George and Jeff fight in Rob's <laughs> first tournament back in a combat jiu-jitsu match. Wow. I think we just get everything back going again. That is so meta. We're going to have the dogs on the sidelines. The dogs will be on the sidelines. Yeah. yeah. That is so meta. Well yes. done. Awesome. Well done. All right. Beautiful. Yeah, fuck Chris LaFlam. You know, that's all. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Peace. Thank you. <laughs>